From the podcast that brought you Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby and Russ Myers Up comes Paddington 2. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome Woo! to 1000 Wives of Weird, a podcast about everything weird. That's our old slogan. That's We've true. changed that yes. uh, because we mostly just talk about movies. Yes. I am Brad Hefner, and with me as always is my good friend. Billy Martell. And this week, let's do the up top stuff very quickly because yes. I want to get into why we're doing this movie. Yes, absolutely. This week, we are talking about the critically acclaimed, well-loved, well-known film... Paddington 2. Mm-hmm. If you are unfamiliar, Paddington 2 is a movie about a talking baby bear who gets mm-hmm. sent to prison. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly it. It's, it's yeah, uh, talking baby bears get sent to prison based on the Paddington Bear books by uh, Michael Bond. Mm-hmm. So was it a, a, a literary character first or was it a toy first? I believe it was a character first. All right. I, my only experience with Paddington prior to this is I think I encountered a stuffed Paddington bear once in my life at my grandmother's house. Gotcha. But other than that, this one movie, not even Paddington 1, I, only Paddington 2, the sequel, yes. is the only experience with Paddington that I have. I've, I've read a few of the stories. Sure. Uh, I've seen the first Paddington. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a perfectly fine movie. You uh, have a Paddington I have, bear. I have my own Paddington that I was given as a baby boy. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm aware of Paddington. I know a little bit. Mm-hmm. Generally just just sort of incompetent. Sort of a, <laughs> just this dumbass bear. Just this very... Ruining life for people. Oh. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Billy, before we get into a long discussion about other things. Yes. Would you recommend Paddington 2? 110%. This is one of the greatest movies that's been made in the last 10 years, and it might be one of the greatest movies of all time. I would also recommend it. I would say that it is one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely a stunning movie. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And people... I, I crow about Paddington 2 a lot. Yeah. I, I've been a big fan. I saw it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. It still makes me cry. But people will often ask, like, hey, are you serious about this Paddington 2 stuff? Oh, yeah. Yes, 100%. I think that I asked you that because, like, if you, if you, even if you don't know Brad personally, if you've listened to the show at all, you kind of get a vibe for like what Brad's taste is usually like, the kind of stuff that, that he's into. If you've listened to the show at all, when he says something like, hey, I love this movie called Frankenhooker, no one's surprised. Yes. But when we're talking about something like Paddington 2, I think I did I do remember thinking back when we were first hanging out and you were saying, oh man, you gotta, you gotta watch this movie Paddington 2, and like, uh, this is a bit, right? And, and I just think in general, like, it's not the, at, on the face of it, a movie that any adult human would be into, much less uh, someone with such outre taste as yourself. Yes. But uh, if you actually watch the movie, again, like, the the accolades we just gave it, like, it's, wow. But yeah, yeah, so we wanted to talk about, like, why the movie is on the show. Yeah, and again, this is not an obscure, this is a This movie film. is not obscure, this movie is not underknown or underappreciated. This was, at one time, the 
best reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. I think that there was like a list that someone put out recently, which uh, eclipsed in which this movie was listed as the greatest movie ever made over both Citizen Kane and Vertigo. And also uh, more positive reviews on like Toy Story 3 or something. I mean, um, yeah, Toy Story 3 is not the best of the, those three movies. People but love sure. Toy Story 3. I love Toy Story 3. Not the best of those three movies. Sure. There yeah. are four. Oh, uh, I refuse to uh, acknowledge the fourth one. That's fair. It's yeah. bad. <laughs> I never saw it. I, don't I do like that sport character, though. I, I like the sport character, I, but I haven't seen the movie, so maybe in the actual movie he's offensive as hell. Also, there he does do blackface. He does. <laughs> oh, right, because he's played by Billy Crystal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not voiced by Billy Crystal. No. Billy Crystal <laughs> Motion is Motion like, captured by Billy Crystal. But not even like, he's just in a suit, and they're like... <laughs> They like really badly color key them in. Color yeah, key yeah. Them in. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But no, and by the way, I it did it did eclipse Citizen Kane mm-hmm. and then one review that got on Earth knocked it off. And I was looking I was looking to see like the negative reviews of this film to see what people did not like about it. Yeah, what knocked it off the the And this guy, uh, he's allowed his opinion. His thing was basically like, I love Paddington as a kid. This is not the Paddington I know. It's terrible. And that seemed to be his big bone to pick. But the comments Mm -hmm. for the review that is linked through Rotten Tomatoes are vicious. Oh, really? The top comment is die. (laughs) (laughs) Which Which I, one, I appreciate... The, the fervor. The passion, yes. Two. Yeah. You're not listening to the messages of the movie. That's not, yeah, no. Aunt, Aunt Emily would not be... Aunt Lucy. Sorry, Aunt Lucy would not be happy with, with, with the that behavior. Worst case scenario, you should have given that man's review a hard stare. Exactly. And then moved on with your life. But but, but what qualifies this this incredibly popular children's film... Or I, sh- I should say, actually, family film. Yeah. For our in our show in which we uh, present a thousand wives to weird. One, it's weird how fucking good it is. Yeah. It's weird how agree. good this sequel mm-hmm. to a family film is. Yes. And it's not just good in that you'll watch it and like it. Right. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly poignant. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Like it's a beautifully made movie. It's. Yeah. A work of art. At times, Absolutely. It, it feels almost like Wes Anderson Jr., and, mm-hmm. but it also, most of the time, it has its own sort of lovely style. Yeah. The messages of the movie are fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is a, a family film that deals with prison reform. <laughs> For real, though. like It, it does. The, the movie is, in my opinion, truly and deeply weird. The... I guess the only way that I can come at like explaining why it is to me is that I think that there's an element of good art that is always deeply weird. Yes. Like if 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 uh, if there's some if there's not something very strange about a piece of art or very like unique about a piece of art, it's it's usually not going to stand out from a crowd no matter mm-hmm. how how good it is. Uh, even a movie that we we joke about being incredibly normcore uh, that we both enjoy that thing you do yeah. has its elements of weird to it. Not sure. enough to probably get it on this show, no. But uh, still, it does have them. Uh, this movie is one of the most 
perfectly constructed films. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about Wes Anderson light. Uh, there was something, uh, someone, some film historian said once about a director that's very near and dear to my heart, James Whale, who directed Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and The Invisible Man back in the 30s. Yeah. And they said he would not ever be considered a German expressionist filmmaker, but he would use German expressionism when it suited him. Yes. Uh, and that is what I think of the filmmakers who made this movie. I do not remember the name of the director off the top the of my head. The director is Paul King. Paul King. And he it was co-written by him and Simon Farnby. Gotcha. Well, you talk about the Wes Anderson influence. It seems to me that like they use the Wes Anderson style on occasion when it suits them in a very James Whale-esque way, where it's like, hey... I'm sorry, you know, Simon Farnaby. Simon Farnaby. This style would really fit this sequence. Yes. But then as soon as they're like, and then we want to do something else, they move immediately away from it. The, the movie is absolutely impeccable. It's mm -hmm. one of the most perfect movies I've ever seen. It is also one of the most... To be fair, I cry like a bitch easily when watching mm. movies. I cry at episodes of Power Rangers. However, this movie is one of the most heartwarming, beautiful pieces of art I have ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, like, I cannot stress this enough. This is a sequel yes. to a family film, mm -hmm. and they decided, because you don't get, again, I've only watched Paddington 1 one time. Right. So, and it was a while back. I think it might have mm. been right before or right after I saw Paddington. You too. always try and watch movies that are in a numbered series the exact number of times that the title says to exactly. watch them. Because that's an instruction. Mm -hmm. Like Fast Five, you've seen exactly five times, and then you'll never watch it again. Jason X, ten yes, times. Ten times. Never I don't even again. like the movie. Right. But I've watched it ten times. Exactly ten times, never again. All these beautiful touches. Yes. I do not recall in the first film. Sure. This sort of whimsy, this beauty, this emotion are mm -hmm. not present. For whatever reason, Paul King and Simon Farnaby were like, let's just fucking do it. Yeah. Let's just make this fucking work of art about this talking bear in a duffel coat uh, yeah. that goes to prison. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. No, the movie somehow manages... It, when we talk about like a, a movie with a, a little bear that goes to prison and like a, a, a family movie with a crime plot, immediately your head goes to such terrible movies as like the, the recent Tom and Jerry film that just came out where it's like, oh no, these animated characters in a live action setting and there's some sort of crime plot happening and it just feels all sorts of disjointed and not funny and uninteresting. This movie manages to pull off what it's attempting so impeccably it feels nothing in the movie feels out of place gotcha. everything seems to happen exactly the way it should be there's never a moment where you're like hey why is this happening in this movie you're just sort of like yeah of course yeah we this film has to have a scene where Paddington meets a bunch of hardened criminals. Yeah, he has this, to go to he, prison. He the prophecy to. must the be fulfilled. The prophecy must be fulfilled. This is just how this movie would logically progress. Yes. Yeah. So, let's begin the plot. Absolutely. We begin in the Peruvian jungle. Paddington mm. comes from darkest Peru. Mm -hmm. And this is a few bear years ago. Pastuzo and Lucy, who are talking bears, which mm -hmm. are, I believe, in the first Paddington, and this could be established in the books as well. Sure. But 
Paddington is very rare because he is a talking bear. Oh, this is a this is a famous species, not a famous species, but a sort of like a cryptid that a famous gotcha. explorer discovered, and he's the one who named Lucy and Pastuzo. Ah, Pastuzo is named after a, a boxer. Ooh, okay. But they are sitting on a suspension bridge, mm-hmm. eating marmalade sandwiches, yes. and talking about their upcoming trip to London. Absolutely, which they learned about from the explorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, uh, even though Brad's referencing stuff from the books and from the movie, for the first movie, uh, I didn't know any of these like behind background details other than, hey, it's two talking bears and they're talking about a trip to London. When yeah. I watched it, and I was, this is this is. Uh, not quite as disconnected from its first movie as, like, say, Evil Dead 2. Sure. But you are, you will not have any kind of problem just watching this one. You, you will might not have any problem losing you, out on Paddington 1. You might wonder where Pastuzo goes and assume you Michael might. Gambon just wandered out of the studio into traffic. Well, <laughs> almost immediately after this scene, Paddington, like, has a line which explains what happened to Pastuzo. Oh, does he? Yeah. I, I must have glossed over that. That's but okay. Pastuzo is dead. Yes, He's he is. He's a dead man. Yeah, that's what the Paddington, uh, when eventually, again, spoilers in the spoiler section, shock, but eventually Paddington will be trying to shop for a nice present for his Aunt Lucy, you said? Yes. His Aunt Lucy. And when he does, he mentions to the shop owner right off the bat, ever since Uncle Pastuzo died. Gotcha. Uh, so y- y- you can pick up on this stuff real real easy. Lucy is voiced by Imelda Staunton. Oh, amazing. Yes, who is a big on stage. Pastuzo is voiced by Michael Gambon. Yes. Another huge name. From uh, famous for being in an in- independent movie, the the thief, the cook, his wife, her lover. Or oh yeah, like that, I, I which is a want movie that we that. definitely need to watch on the show at some yeah. point because it's supposed to be um, fucking. I think crazy. that's a Paul Greenaway film. Okay, Peter Greenaway, who I really need to check out his work. Sure, Lucy spies a club. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a Lucy spies. The she next spies word a club was, sandwich. Yes, <laughs> the next word is clinging. So I ran the two together. Oh, gotcha. Lucy spies a. Cub clinging to a log in the raging river below. Lucy gets lowered down and rescues the cub. She and Pestuzo adopt this sneezy, marmalade-loving bear and become his aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. It's pre- so cute. It's very cute. In present day, Paddington writes an exposition letter to his Aunt Lucy. Yes. Who is now in a home for retired bears. Aww. Which is nice that they have. It's good that it's they have It's wonderful that. that they have there. It's good that. I'm, I'm glad that their tax dollars are going to that. Well, she's in Peru. Right. I'm glad that the Peruvian tax dollars are going to that. You know how, I don't know if you, this was a big, like, joke, not a joke report. It's a real thing that's happening. But, like, mm-hmm. every morning radio show was like, hey, did you see this? About how, like, uh, nursing homes have a lot high rate of STIs. Yes, because I did of hear about old this. folks just yes. banging without consequences. Absolutely, I think it's the same in the home for retired bears. <laughs> One think can like, only hope. <laughs> you think like there's some bear with his face just rotting off from syphilis? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, that's the that's how they got the uh, bear actor who played the bear in Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned that the steam fair is coming to town, mm-hmm. along with a great old steam train. I don't know what a steam fair is. I assume it's just like a regular carnival type thing, but with steam Ce- engines. A lo- celebrating a lot of steam-powered giraffes. What? <laughs> <laughs> just that's my obscure reference for the day. Okay. <laughs> Hope you feel good about yourself. I, I <laughs> yeah. 
We learn about Paddington's neighborhood, and now he helps mm-hmm. his friends and neighbors and brightens their day. Yes. Uh, he hitches a ride with a French woman mm-hmm. on the back of her bicycle yes. and gives her a marmalade sandwich. He, she always forgets her breakfast. He reminds a, a doctor to... Mm-hmm. Uh, to get his keys. Yep. And this doctor keys. calls Paddington with his accent, Puddington. Aww. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. Uh, he helps a, a garbage man learn the routes, the fastest routes. I'm not... I guess he wants to be a driver for the garbage truck i'm or, not sure uh, he has some sort oh maybe it's just a driving exam it could maybe. just be that but uh yeah he's, he's he's practicing for some sort of exam and paddington's helping him study while he does his job we learn about paddington's adoptive family the browns yes mrs brown mrs mary brown mm-hmm. is trained to swim the english channel because she's an author and illustrator of children's books mm-hmm. or just books in general i guess yes and she wants her own adventure yes and mrs brown is played by sally hawkins oh my god who we watched masturbate in the shape of water repeatedly yeah and, then, and she also fucked a fisherman and then fucked a fisherman was the, did that movie come out the same year as this one mm, i think it might have i think it might, so because this was 2017 which i remember being a very good year for film it was um and i remember but i was reading in the imdb trivia the most reliable source of movie information yeah of course of course that she had just gotten done filming the intensive underwater scenes in that movie right and then learned like oh there's underwater scenes in paddington too that's that was sort of the thing is watching the movie now with shape of water in my memory it almost seems her her plot having so much to do with being able to swim really well yeah seems almost like a reference to shape of water <laughs> but it's not it, they came no. out around the same time so there was no way they could plan that it's just a weird coincidence but she's an absolute delight oh in this she's movie. fucking amazing she needs to do more comedy yeah there's a moment she's hilarious there's a my favorite moment from her, I can't wait to point out, because it's just so natural and wonderful. Yeah. Judy Brown, her teenage daughter, has been dumped by Tony. Ugh, Tony! Uh, as she says, I think you will find that you are being dumped, Tony. <laughs> and she has started a school paper with no boys allowed. Yes. Jonathan Brown, a.k.a. J-Dog, <laughs> who is joining Judy at what Paddington calls big school yes. which is so cute, Yes, has built a fully working steam engine, mm-hmm. like a steam train engine. Miniature. Yeah, but he worries that it's not cool and doesn't want his friends to know. So he's decided to become J-Dog and and lock his train in in his closet because steam trains are not cool. Mr. Brown is having a midlife crisis after being passed over for a promotion. Yes. Mr. Brown is played by Hugh Bonneville, Mm -hmm. who most will know from Downton Abbey. He plays Lord Grantham. And I'm tickled whenever I see a Downton Abbey alum. Also, Hugh Bonneville is just hilarious he is all the time. So funny in this movie. He's so I, I know that I've seen him in something else where he was really funny as well, but he's just he's fantastic, just always. Mr. Henry Brown, mm-hmm. his his midlife crisis including like dyeing his hair, yep. doing yoga. Yes, some some kind of very specifically named yoga. Chakrabatics. That's it, yes. Right off the bat, the movie sets this incredible tone that it will maintain no matter how crazy and dark things get later yeah. on. And the, the best I could compare it to, and this is going to sound like a slight against the film, it's not, is that it has a sort of... the pace at which dialogue is delivered and the the sort of way that everyone speaks extremely clearly and very sort of matter-of-factly Aaron Sorkin <laughs> no that would be an insult coming from me <laughs> no but I was gonna say it reminded me of the show Peppa Pig 
Okay. People uh, seem to enjoy Peppa Pig. Yeah. It's no Bluey. <laughs> I have not seen Bluey. You should so watch I don't it. Know. It's episodes are like ten minutes long. Sure. Just That's watch very some, similar to Peppa Pig. Just watch some Bluey, and okay. I guarantee you'll love it. I'm sure. But Peppa Pig has that same sort of thing where like everything is spoken very clearly and and uh, matter of factly so that the the young audience of the of the story yeah. will understand. But at the same time, there's like these little hidden edges of cynicism behind the childlike optimism in the show. Yeah. And this is the same thing where Paddington, we're seeing the world through Paddington's eyes and Paddington is a very young character with a amazingly optimistic and pure view of the yeah. world. He has been taught by his aunt Lucy, Lucy. that if you're kind, mm-hmm. everything will work out. Exactly. If you're polite, if you're kind, if you take care of people, thing, it's, it's things, it's the Things will just work out. Things will just work out. If you you are good to people, people will be good to you. Not even that. Just be good to people. Be kind and polite. That's true. It's not even... It's not transactional like that. Uh, But because of that, even though he is seeing the Brown family all going through their various crises, he always views it in the most positive possible way. Yeah, and he's still... Okay, if J-Dog wants to be called J-Dog and he wants to put his train away, that's fine. Yeah. Follow your bliss, J-Dog. Basically, Uh, yeah. And he's just so... Mm-hmm. happy to be there like he exactly and he still thinks the world of these people oh yeah absolutely a scene that i thought was amazing at setting up paddington's complete lack of guile as a character mrs bird played by julie walters the dancing in- instructor from billy elliott she incredible actress by the way she says oh you got to remember to wash behind your ears paddington and he says but i i did and then she pulls a coin out from behind his ear with a little magic trick and because paddington cannot conceive under any circumstances, of someone not saying or doing something that is straightforward mm-hmm. and without any kind of uh, uh, trick or anything, he just he looks at the coin with a look of such concern <laughs> that he has somehow failed in his duties of washing behind his ears and says, "Now, how did that get in there?" Paddington, by the way, is voiced by Ben Whishaw. C- Perfectly. Just, yes. just per- an absolutely perfect performance. Ben Wishaw plays uh, Q in the Daniel Craig Bond movies. And- Paddington goes to visit Mr. Gruber, who runs a knick-knack, antique shop sort of thing. Yes. And he's played by Jim Broadbent, the fantastic Jim Broadbent, mm-hmm. doing a thick accent and probably having the time of his fucking life. One of my favorite Jim Broadbent parts, I think. Absolutely. You might know him as the... Police captain of the small town in Hot oh, Fuzz. That's right. That's no. That is my favorite Jim Broadbent performance. Because a great big bushy beard. You can't get better than that line. You just can't get better than that line. Paddington is looking for a present for Aunt Lucy's birthday. I think she might be turning one hundred. I yes, that's exactly right. It's not every day that the bear turns one hundred. That's right. Says. Yes. Uh, Mr. Gruber shows him a toy monkey that does flips. Mm-hmm. Some of what he calls rolling shoes, which are very ornate roller skates with little wings on them, but they're not right. You know. But Paddington finds a popping book, as Mr. Gruber calls it, mm-hmm. and he immediately falls in love, and it's perfect for Aunt Lucy, who always wanted to see London. It's it's a pop-up book of, I think, like nine or so different London landmarks. Exactly. And another thing about this movie, I was, I was recently watching, for the first time in a long time, the Disney animated film Cinderella. And there's this incredible sequence in it where... 
nothing's happening in the scene. The scene doesn't add anything to the plot where Cinderella is washing the floor mm-hmm. and she's humming to herself. And as she hums to herself, the bubbles from the water float up into the air and a million Cinderella's reflected in the bubbles all as a choir start humming to get and singing together. Mm. And it's just this beautiful little song that doesn't add anything to the plot whatsoever, doesn't add anything to the story. It's just there to be incredible. And I remember thinking while watching this the other day, why don't movies just fucking do that anymore? Why don't they do something just for the the sheer whimsy of it all. Paddington does it quite a few times. And exactly, and this is one of the first times where Yeah, this is where the movie really starts where you feel, f- this is where the movie transcends. And yes. It's good that it does it early cuz it's like mm-hmm. you get these early signs of like okay. Yeah. This is ambitious. Yes. Because we go inside the popping book. Yes. And everything just to be clear, if, mm-hmm. we, if it was not obvious, if you are not familiar with this film, mm-hmm. Paddington 2 is a live-action movie. Yes. CGI bear. Yes. Uh, Paddington is a CGI animated creation, and also... As well are... The Aunt other Lucy. bears are... But everything else in the movie is live-action, with the exception of this sequence. Yes. Now we go inside the popping book, styled just like it, uh, cutouts of everything mm-hmm. that rise and fall. It's... And essentially, we see Paddington in this fantasy... Showing his Aunt Lucy around New York through Not the New popping, York. I'm sorry, London through the popping book uh, or pop up book, as the Americans would call it. I'm going to call. Which, it, well, I, I they probably call it that in the UK too. I think maybe. it's just Mr. Gruber talk. You think it's just Mr. Gruber calls it popping book? Yeah, uh, I refer to it as popping book in I, every instance. Always. I just wanted to make sure that if anyone was confused, we could tell them. But uh, yeah, and it's just just this incredible sequence that only exists. To be amazing. Yeah. It doesn't really just to be communicate any wonderful information. No, but it's just... Oh, and also to give them all to Staunton a few more lines. Yeah, and just... <laughs> Which is always important. Always do that. Even if she's not in the movie, just give them all the Staunton lines in your movie. I was... We've talked about this before on the show. Yeah. That when we have to take story notes, mm-hmm. meaning it's our turn to host the show, yeah. and we are the ones to walk through the plot, Yes, that is not necessarily a fun watch. That's it's probably like the hardest part of this doing, whole thing. It's like doing homework. It is doing because homework. Because you just want to watch this movie, yeah. but you have to keep stopping, you have to keep, you have to be like, okay, do I mention this part? Do I mm-hmm. not mention it? How do I describe this part? Right. This was one of the worst watches I've done for this show because I love this movie so much and now it was work. Right. So it was That's the problem when you turn your passion into into a job. Yeah. <laughs> it just becomes work at a certain point. But there is so much of this movie that we cannot convey. Either it's visual, mm-hmm. it's just sort of tonal. Yeah. It, it's we can't recount every line, we can't do the delivery justice, we can't do the whatever justice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this movie, the movie pulls from Wes Anderson, as we talked about. The movie also pulls heavily from silent from film. silent film, as we'll see in a second. More of that, but so a lot of this movie, like weirdly, the Street Fighter, a lot of this movie is about like the physical actions and the visual images that you're yeah. seeing. So we can approximate that a little bit. We can tell you how cool things are, but at a certain point. Uh, as we always say on the show anyway, you're going to just have to watch this movie for yeah. yourself. Uh, and uh, if it 
hasn't been communicated enough yet, you should be doing that anyway. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In his imagination, Aunt Lucy tells Paddington how happy he's made her. Mm-hmm. Oh, tug at my heartstrings. Absolutely tug at my heartstrings. We've also, all... there's this great bit of character for Aunt Lucy, uh, where oh. she's like, oh, what a lovely, what a polite young man. And then a second later, oh, what a polite pigeon. I yeah. Just, I love that so much. But it's just, maybe it's because I'm in a horrible state of arrested development, but <laughs> I feel like it's not uncommon to imagine, like, I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to make somebody so happy. Yeah. Like, like it just, there. it's going to move them so much. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the book cost $1,000. It's the only oh one of its God. kind. Well, and, a thousand of whatever units uh, oh, of, true. of money. They never actually say dollars, and it is in it'd, England, so it might pounds. be euros or pounds or uh, or whatever. It, it, they don't even necessarily say that. He, he pulls a coin he pulls out of his ear. the coin from the earlier out of his ear. Which he's been storing in his ear like an absolute loon. He, pull, he pulls the coin out, and he says, how about this? And the guy says, I, I'm, sh- I'm afraid it will take a thousand of those. Yeah. So for all we know, he could have pulled a penny out of his ear. It'll take a thousand pennies. And one, Mr. Gruber once again suggests the uh, spinning monkey, mm-hmm. which he calls Super Dupa. <laughs> now, I have a surprise for you. Okay. I got Paddington to come to the studio. I, I Oh, my God. Uh, Paddington, why don't you come in? Oi! My name's not Paddington! <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I'm sorry. You, you look like Paddington. I... I Book Paddington. My name's Baddington. <laughs> this is not the energy I was expecting. I'm Paddington's identical twin cousin. <laughs> identical twin cousin. Yeah. Is you that want to s- make something of it? Is that something in Bear World that that we don't have in Human World? Everybody has it. It, it can happen at any time. <laughs> oh my any god. Any time. You could be someone's identical twin cousin. I you ever think about that, bruv? I, I guess not. I guess not. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I know you came here. Oh, where's Paddington? Where's Paddington? Everyone wants to know where Paddington is. Who fucking cares? Where's Baddington? I went to prison, too. No one gave a shit then. Were you Were you uh, innocent of the crime that you were being accused of? Like no. Paddington? Oh, okay. I commit lots of crimes. <laughs> what kind of crimes do you commit, Baddington? I'm Banksy. <laughs> oh my god. Not really, but I could be if I tried. <laughs> I can get a can of paint and shake it all up. <laughs> so it sounds like you are guilty of, of the crime of, of lying. Well, yeah. <laughs> but you know what else I'm guilty of? What is that? Elder abuse. <laughs> Baddington. I hit an old man. Why did you hit an old man? And I took his food away. Why? Because. Why? I'm bad. (laughs) I didn't have an Aunt Lucy or Uncle Pastuzo. You know who raised me? Who? Idris Elba. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize Idris Elba was such an abuse, would be such an abusive uh, uh, father. He just wasn't around a lot. Oh, I see. Because he was and DJing and DJing and, and you know so I, I grew up on the streets the apocalypse right I grew yeah. up on the streets of London ah I see okay that's why I'm dressed like a chav <laughs> I was I was about to ask yes you have quite an eclectic garb there well I'm just gonna stick around cause I got hired for the hour so <laughs> I do personal appearances for people who think I'm Paddington <laughs> 
Then I pull, I kick open the door and I say, wrong, it's Baddington Tosser. <laughs> All right, so you uh, are accusing us of, of, of not caring where Baddington is and only caring where Paddington is. But you are explicitly misleading us in order to gain money from us. Oh, I gotta make a living somehow. Fair enough. I'm no longer employable because uh-huh. I've been to prison so much. <laughs> do you do, do you do you eat, do you eat dog food? Sure. All right. <laughs> For the right amount of money, if that's what you're into. <laughs> Want me to eat this? I brought can with me. Okay. Want me to eat it? All right, you when, fucker. When you're bringing your own dog food, that's 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 on you. Man. I'm eating it right now. Pay me. <laughs> I didn't, Pay me. I didn't even $100. ask you to. Hundred dollars. I didn't even $100. ask you. dollars. I did not ask you to. <laughs> All right, Baddington, just just sit down. We'll, Please calm down, Baddington. We'll, we'll, why don't you chime in? Yeah. See how much this parallels your life. <laughs> Paddington, to pay for the popping book, mm-hmm. Paddington vows to get a job. No, Paddington, don't do it. <laughs> don't enter the capitalistic workforce. Oh, man. Ugh. I just wish, spoiler alert, Paddington does not find a consistent job. Uh, but I He gets close. Yeah, he does well at some things. Yes. But... He does so well I wonder. is created. I wonder how, uh, how long it would take for Paddington's spirit to be absolutely crushed by the working world. <laughs> Uh, depends on which job he kept doing. I think if he'd stayed at his first job for more than a day, very quickly. So next we see Paddington has gotten a job at mm-hmm. Mr. Giuseppe's Barbershop. He's, yes. he's sweeping up hair. Yes. Hopefully not eating it. Hopefully not. That's a creepy thing to do. That would be creepy. You ever eat some hair? Uh, not intentionally. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've never like gone to a barber and been like, hey, you gonna eat that? <laughs> no. Didn't you ever like all that flash some to bills me. and be like, maybe some of that hair can fall off a truck <laughs> and into I, my mouth? I can eat my own hair. I have a shower drain like everyone else. Yeah, but I assume it's more erotic for you oh, to eat okay. someone else's hair, right. especially when they don't know it's happening. That's true. Then you sit outside their window in a tree, you just d- chomp on their hair, <laughs> staring at them, watching TV. You know, I never have before, but the way you Oh, I've done it, that! Of course you have. The way you describe it, definitely going to do it next time I go. Absolutely, you should. Absolutely, yeah. Tell them I sent you. I will. I will. A customer comes in mm-hmm. and insists Paddington give him a trim. Mm-hmm. And this is the classic uh, contrived comedy thing where it's like, I'm not going to listen to you mm-hmm. because I'm in a hurry and this is what we need for the comedy to happen. Absolutely. But I never, even when Paddington 2 is contrived, I never yes. give a shit. No. Because and it zips by it so quickly. It zips by it so quickly, and also this is this is the main thing I was I was talking about when it comes to silent movies. There's there's plenty of silent movie influence throughout the movie, mm-hmm. but especially in these sequences that because slap Paddington Two has a lot of slapstick comedy elements to yes. it, and the difference between Paddington Two and every other modern movie that utilizes slapstick comedy is that this is funny. It and is. You aren't just begging for it to be over, and also no one's getting hurt. Yeah, uh, Paddington and, will get knocked around a little bit here and there, but it's never a situation of like, oh no, he just got crushed. It's more of like, oh. And he's also never hurting anybody. Exactly. Or And no one is hurting him. Right. But the the antics are highly reminiscent of, of silent Buster movies Keaton or and Charlie like Chaplin. That. And there's another element to it of he's he's got that... Paddington has that sort of perfect 
childish but not in any way malicious persona that yeah. Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin were so good at, at embodying in their heyday uh, of just so, sort of like someone who's just trying their best and things just yeah. keep not working out for them. None of his antics ever come out of malice mm-hmm. or like, hey, let's play a trick on somebody or I'm going to do this because I think it's fun. Right. He's very well-meaning. He's just a dumbass. Which He's is the dumbest bear in the world. Which is not to say that slapstick can't work if there is malice. Oh, no, like, I, I'm three, not saying three that. Three Stooges and Mr. Bean But are this both is a like, family film. Yeah. And this and is what children should see. As someone who is a huge fan of silent comedy and a huge fan of like the Pink Panther movies and Mr. Bean and all that stuff, I'm always hoping that there will be something like that again that will really get how to make slapstick comedy work. And I was not expecting it, that the... The, be- the only bastion of slapstick comedy in our modern day cinema would be a cartoon bear, but this is where we are. This is what's happening. I've got an idea. Sure, you can veto this. Okay, you have that power. Okay, let's dig up the corpses of Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> Buster Keaton, uh-huh. and all what sixty of the Stooges that there were in total. <laughs> Something let's, like that. Let's yeah. plop them down on a couch uh-huh. that we covered in plastic. Sure, I'm sure they're pretty rancid. Their bones. Yeah, corpses. Uh, and play Paddington too for them. <laughs> then we'll go put them back before anyone notices. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I, I think I am going to veto that. I don't okay. Think, I don't think that's, I think you don't think their souls down in hell would enjoy that. I think their souls down in hell would enjoy that. I just don't think that bringing their corpses along would be good. I think what we need to do is find a medium to have a seance. And then once we've summoned their spirits, then we turn on the movie. Okay. Yeah. Would you be willing to have all of those spirits possess you so they can view it through your eyes? I think that the the absolute majesty of Paddington 2 is so important to me and sharing that is so important uh, that uh, uh, I think I would consider it a, a holy calling to okay. do that. Yeah. And then I will play Jesus and cast your demons into a pig and <laughs> send them off a cliff. <laughs> exactly. But uh, Paddington starts some electric clippers, but mm-hmm. they're too powerful for such a small bear. Yes. It shakes him and moves him about the shop, wrapping mm-hmm. the cord around him as he goes. Just as he's about to vibrate into the customer's, the back of the customer's head and yeah. commit a very big hair faux pas, mm-hmm. he stops short. The cord has gone taut. Mm-hmm. Everything is working out. But the cord has wrapped around the lever to the barber's chair. Oh, no. And the customer reclines into the clippers and he does a nice landing strip mm-hmm. up the back of the customer's head. And there's a uh, note that I made later, but I'll just talk about it right now. Talking about what is necessary to make slapstick comedy work. My wife, Kaylee, is uh, an incredible director. Mm -hmm. And something that she said to me about her philosophy of of directing theater, but this is also, I think this also applies to film, is that she said, in her head, theater and film are like music. There is a tempo and there is a melody and you have to play the notes right and on the right tempo or else it does it's just it's just not right. Uh, there are different tempos for different projects. Not everything's going to be exactly the same, but there is still a tempo and a melody. I don't think that there's anything more that this applies to more than like this kind of comedy. Yeah, and everything about 
Paddington 2 is exactly right. Every joke hits ex- at exactly the moment that it needs to for the mm-hmm. maximum impact. And the like, the physical movements and just like the amount of time between, oh, I'm safe with the buzzer and then the chair going back is yeah. exactly correct. The timing is absolutely impeccable. It is. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's also amazing that these things are being achieved by a CGI creation. Yeah. That the, it's so fluid. It's so, it's so well done that like, it plays incredibly well. You don't even think about the fact that the bear's not even there. Yeah. And also, it, they are, they're able to add a l- couple of little extra jokes using the animation. Like, when the buzzer is going and he's, like, having trouble controlling it, they add this amazing little ripple effect to his fur, where yeah. his, his, in, all of his fur is buzzing on his body. It's great. But Paddington has a plan. Mm-hmm. He has his ever-present orange marmalade. Yes. That's Paddington's signature. It's he signature. loves marmalade. It's like Winnie the Pooh and honey, except yep. it's Paddington and, and, and uh, marmalade. Uh, so he smears some marmalade on the man's head mm-hmm. and slaps the hair back on. But that wily customer sees through the ruse immediately. <laughs> Somehow. Just in time for Mr. Giuseppe to come in and sees all the chaos and he fires Paddington. Oh, I got fired once. <laughs> How, color me surprised. What, how did you get uh, fired, Baddington? I punched a baby. <laughs> what was the job that you were at? Security. Security for what? The Rolling Stones. <laughs> what? How did a baby get involved in, in the Rolling Stones? Someone chucked it at Mick Jagger. What? <laughs> and I'm like, not today! And I spiked it out of the sky... And for some reason, I'm the bad guy. Uh, oh, Baddington doing bad again. Uh, did you did you realize it was a baby, or did you yeah. just see a projectile headed for Mick Jagger? Bears have very good eyes. Oh, okay. You could have you could have gotten me on your side by just being like, I just thought it was a projectile there, but you decided. I don't like to lie. You just we established you as a liar just a few minutes ago. I don't recall that. <laughs> Have you been sniffing glue? Because I got some to sell if you need some more. I, I, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I have just as much Elmer's as I need. Well, that's... I have better glue. <laughs> I have the glue that gets you high. Oh, okay. Does Elmer's not get you high? No. Oh, okay. You can eat that shit, mate. Oh, okay. That, 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 exp- that explains my childhood. That night, it's time to go to the Steam Fair. We're introduced to Phoenix Buchanan... Oh uh, one of the most amazing characters in cinematic history, uh, played by Hugh Grant in his greatest role ever. Unquestionably. It Unquestionably. Is, he is giving everything Hugh Grant, to this role. of course, was on our show before in Layer of the White Worm, yes. along with another actor who is also in this movie, Peter, Peter Capaldi. But, uh, they share no scene, so they could not reminisce about that. Unfortunately. About their glory days. Their glory days. My God. I, I always, growing up, it was sort of like a common joke to joke about Hugh Grant's acting. And I think it's mostly because a lot of his career has been in uh, rom-coms, which are unfairly... And just sort unfairly, of the same sort of shtick. Just doing the same sort of shtick. Stuttery, but, charming. Yeah, and there's nothing... I mean, hey, you got to pay the bills, I yeah. understand. As, as, as he, he has to get money for a sex worker somehow. <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's the, it's the early 90s, hey. and I'm a talk show host. But, uh, yeah, if you are under the impression that Hugh Grant is a bad actor for whatever reason. Or just even mediocre. Or just even mediocre. Watch this movie. His performance 
is something to behold. And it's this is on the level of Glenn Close's Cruella Deville in terms of over the top bizarre family movie villainy. It's incredible. And we're gonna <laughs> we'll get to it, but uh, yeah. And again, this performance is one of the things that it's it's just not going to translate. To yeah. this podcast, like you need to see it to understand it. I described it in my notes as Hugh Grant plays Vincent Price playing Kenneth Branagh. Sure, <laughs> sure. I I don't know enough to argue with that. Sure, but Phoenix Buchanan also amazing name. Oh yes, amazing name. Absolutely. He used to be a big deal actor. Seems mostly on the stage, but according to Mrs. Bird, mm-hmm. he's now relegated to doing dog food commercials. Yes. And here's where I wondered, Mrs. Bird is the Brown's slave? <laughs> I guess. Uh, Maid, nanny. Maid, nanny, uh, something I think she's like their that. housekeeper, but okay. she, she's de facto a member of the family. I fully didn't realize that she was an employee. I thought that she was just like one of their moms or an aunt or something. Gotcha. I, I didn't even think about... I didn't even realize watching it that you her thought it last was one name of their was different. Like there was a that the Browns were a part of a thruple. And uh, like, no, no, like one of one of the the uh, either Mr. Brown or Mrs. Brown's mom. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, like Grandma and the Adams family or something. Gotcha. Like that. Yeah. Nope, I think she's their housekeeper, but she okay. is a member of the family and loves yeah, Paddington. She's just a full the same. full member of the family, and we never see her like serving anybody or anything. No, she's not just really. Sort of hangs out. Also, one last note about Hugh Grant: I want every single costume that he wears in this movie. Oh my god. He want every single one. <laughs> he is going to have a lot, as we're going to see. Yes, and they are all great. But Phoenix Buchanan is there to open up the steam fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learned that he is a new neighbor of yes. the Brown family. Yes, he has the big house. He has the big house, about. which they all live in very nice houses. Yes, they it's do. it's a movie. Yes. Uh, but his, his house is the only one with a veranda. Yes. <laughs> but this fair was not meant for... West End legends like no! Phoenix Buchanan. Oh, it's meant for you, the common people. So humble, so humble. Um, the people. I don't do. He doesn't do it for him. He does it for you. So he he picks somebody from the audience. Eeny, Eeny meeny, miny, bear. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that he is. He apparently knows about this talking bear because he's because again they're neighbors. But he's still like, oh, only Hugh Grant's performance in this movie could possibly replace the iconic way that Christopher Walken said "bear" in the Country Bear Jamboree movie. This is the best way that anyone has ever said "bear" yeah. in a movie. Is now we get this amazing exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to be Phoenix Buchanan or Paddington? Uh, I'll be Phoenix Buchanan just because okay. I love doing his voice. As- I suppose you know who I am. You were a big actor. Or you used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. Well, the man has to eat. What? Dog food? (laughs) I love it. It's hilarious. It's It's a wonderful misunderstanding. And the best part of it is, again, Paddington is so... He's not trying to burn him. No. He's he's so completely absent of guile that he just takes whatever is thrown at him in the same way a child uh, will... Uh, like, you know, you, you have like a, a mother and her child going through a grocery store. We'll see uh, someone who's like, that man's bald or something. Like, and, the, and the mother will just like pull the child away. Yep. Because they're just, they don't have any sort of like idea of of deception or like, hey, certain things that are said are said 
uh, in a way that you shouldn't say repeat to a person's face. He's just sort of like, well, no one could ever mean anything bad yeah. to anyone else, so everything must be fine. And as we've learned previously, it's not uncommon for Paddington's relatives mm -hmm. or bears in general, I guess, to eat dog food. Sure. Uh, yeah, and so he's just he's just a little bit confused because he didn't know that people ate dog food is all. Phoenix Buchanan asked if Paddington could have one wish. Mm -hmm. What would he ask for? Paddington, of course, mentions the popping book. Mm -hmm. Phoenix is very intrigued by this popping book. He grills yes. Paddington about it, and he finds out where it is at Mr. Yes. Gruber's store. Again, Paddington does not notice all the really suspicious, creepy vibes that Phoenix is giving off because Paddington cannot conceive of anyone having ill will towards anyone. Yes. And now we get one of my favorite sequences in the film. Mm -hmm. Paddington is going to be a window cleaner. Yes. This And here's where I note it's an entirely physical bit, absolutely silent. Yes. Not silent, like there's music and yeah, Paddington makes like, mm. By the way, this we were listening to the score a little bit earlier, just because we've started doing that a little bit, and the score for this movie is fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. It's incredible. But yeah, it's just a great bit of... of Physical comedy of Paddington trying to figure out how to wash some windows. He has a bucket. He doesn't know how to get the bucket filled with water up to the window because it's too heavy. Yeah. You just need to see it. Like, I, I can yeah. describe every beat of this. It's not going to be enjoyable. It, it would be just as pointless as describing all the ways that Sarugi fucks people up in his in his movie. But it's just, again, this is a CGI character, mm -hmm. and everything feels so real and natural. There's Yeah, there's weight, there's timing, everything is impeccable. You can, again, listening to the score, I was listening to the score for this scene in particular, and the music is scored to stop and start precisely on rhythm with moments happening in yeah. the film it's it's every so many movies just sort of like go and they're like eh, it's a movie whatever and this movie is so intentional and specific about every choice it makes it's absolutely incredible eventually he gets the hang of it though and yes. he cleans several windows and he learns the secret which is don't bother with the squeegee Cover yourself in suds and use bare fur. Mm -hmm. uh, and we get a perfect Paddington moment mm -hmm. where he goes to the, the house of the colonel. Mm -hmm. And the colonel doesn't want his windows clean. And he won't pay. Yes, the colonel is the only sort of curmudgeon that we met during the opening uh, montage. Yes, he was, like he was not mean. He was just no. closed off. He was very closed off, yes. This is the only. This is the closest he gets to being mean is just like, no, I don't want my windows washed and I won't pay. And Paddington goes, well, maybe I'll do them anyway. Yeah. Because Paddington is perfect. And this gives the colonel a view of the lonely newsstand lady across the way. Mm. And the newsstand lady is played by Jessica Hines. From uh, Shaun of the Dead. From Shaun of the Dead. She's mm -hmm. the alterna Shaun that they yes. meet during that wonderful sequence where Shawn! the two groups meet and they yes. pass by the mirror versions the, the of themselves. mirror versions of each other, yeah. But she is also from the show Spaced. That's right. Another Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't I didn't recognize her. It's it's been oh, a I, I recognize few her. years her. since. She's wonderful. You should watch Space. I really should. I know uh, it's on Tubi right now. It's not a. It's one of those shows where I'm like I enjoy this. I don't mm -hmm. laugh a ton at it, but uh, yeah, I yeah. enjoy all the people involved so much. So I'm like I. It's worth watching. Absolutely, and I've all I'm such a huge hoe for Edgar Wright these days. I should yeah. know where he came from. The Colonel gets a visit from Mean Man Peter Capaldi. So Peter Capaldi was the villain in the first one, right? He was one of the villains. The main okay. villain was Nicole Kidman. Interesting. Okay. Who was, uh, I think she was like a museum lady sort of explorer who wanted Paddington as an exhibit. 
Okay. Because he's such a rare type of talking Peruvian bear. Ah, I see. Okay. And we get uh, my favorite song in the movie, played by a Calypso band that was assembled for this film. They're not a pre-existing uh, band. No. They just sort of gathered the musicians. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, called Tobago and DeLime. Mm-hmm. And this, again, I can sing the song for you. I can hum it for you. It's not, Just go... Uh, We're not going to do that. But, like, no. yeah, no, it's just this very simple song. Again, something, like, you would maybe hear on, like, a PBS show or something just about, like, how how fulfilling it is to grab a squeegee and just sort of wash some windows. And yeah, it's, go, it's uh, amazing. And and they this basically this musical number takes place, again, another type of cinema that heavily involves rhythm and melody, just way more explicitly. It, the sequence ends with it revealing that Paddington's sort of rig that he uses to go up and down the windows features the band actually yeah, there playing and playing like, the music which is uh makes absolutely no sense within the the universe of the film no and who gives a shit who gives a shit because it's fun exactly it's fun and it's whimsical movies, and i love it movies don't have to make sense it's art no. it's art like it's just yeah there's i see nothing that it takes away from by having the band there like mm-hmm. again it's a movie about a talking bear Precisely. He can have a Calypso band follow him around. Why the fuck not? Exactly, yes. They even go to prison with him. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. After a hard day at work, Mm -hmm. in the evening, Paddington walks by Mr. Gruber's shop, where he sees a mysterious bearded figure break in and steal the popping book. It's the old man from the Monty Python Flying Circus opening. (laughs) The police see Paddington fleeing and assume he is the suspect. But Paddington is chasing the figure who escapes on a bike. So... Paddington calls for his dog friend, Wolfie. Mm-hmm. And Paddington rides Wolfie like a fucking boss. <laughs> this is a great sequence. This oh feels like God. it would be at home in the... Uh, I love it. I don't know that it ever made much of a big splash, but the uh, CGI Tintin movie. Yeah, I don't know what people think of the Tintin... What the zeitgeist of Tintin is, but I also love the Tintin movie. And uh, That is such a fun... Yeah. CGI animated adventure movie with a lot of great chases. With a lot of very sort of Rube Goldberg elements to a lot of the action scenes. And this 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 is, does feel a little bit like those. I would actually say I like this more than the chase sequences in Tintin. Just because, again, a lot of the chase sequences in Tintin can seem very sort of like almost too smooth where things yeah. will sort of well, happen. So many things are happening you almost don't notice what's going on. Because Tintin is just Indiana Jones was even directed right. by Steven Spielberg, wasn't it? It was directed by Steven yeah. Spielberg, yes. So he was just doing CGI Indiana Jones. Right, but everything in, in Indiana Jones and in Raiders of the Lost Ark at least, everything that happens has like very, again, weight, impact, and tempo to it. Whereas in Tintin, where a lot of fun stuff does happen, and again, I do enjoy the movie, Yeah. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the slapstick and, and the things that are happening seem to be almost so smooth as to be hypnotic. It's almost like you're watching a you screensaver. You just sort of zone out. Exactly. You, gotcha. You're not paying attention to everything. Whereas in this one, a lot of stuff is happening, but you, again, you feel the impact of yeah, every like you said, there's everything a, that happens. There's a nice tempo and a yes. nice flow. Like, at one point, uh, Paddington hitches a ride on a swan. Exactly. And it feels like... And yeah, then the swan attacks sure, him. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Paddington almost has the Beard Man. Yes. But Beard Man throws a smoke bomb mm-hmm. and disappears. The cops arrive and don't believe Paddington's story that a man disappeared into a puff of smoke and he is arrested. 
ACAB, ACAB, however yes. you want to say it. Profiling. The justice essay. system is broke. Profiling. Profiling they bears. Even, they even make this fucking baby bear do a perp walk through his yes. neighborhood. Peter Capaldi is mean man. Monologues about how Paddington is a thief. I wrote this down just because Peter Capaldi might be one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, just, just like, we open our hearts to that bear. We opened our doors. Well, you did. I kept mine triple locked in accordance with recommendations. <laughs> uh, Peter Capaldi has appointed himself as block security captain or some such. Yes. Which the colonel asked him earlier if that's an official position or something he just named himself. Did he, did he, is that an official position or did you just buy a yellow coat is what he asked him, <laughs> which is incredible. The Browns are much distraught. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Beardman is in a strange room filled with mannequins and costumes. And it turns out the Beardman is actually Phoenix Buchanan <laughs> in character as Magwitch from Oliver Twist. Oh my god. We see that he has a bunch of costumes from a whole bunch of different roles that he's played uh, in the past. Macbeth, Hamlet, Poirot. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. And he has them all on these mannequins up in his attic and he fully has conversations with these characters. Doing different voices, different characters. I think he takes different postures for some, yes. too. Yes, he but, does. And he's also looking into a vanity mirror with the lights all around. Mm-hmm. So he can, I guess he can sort of see the mannequins in, in the, the reflection. Yeah. So he, in his mind, he is having a conversation with these mannequins. Yes. But he's also just fully insane. He's This character is is a full, full-on crazy pants. But again, they don't tip it too much. He's no. not like... Stark raving insane. Again, it feels like, yeah, this is what this fool of himself dude would do. Yeah. It is fucking insane, but it also is. it's not like, okay. This is where I started making the Vincent Price comparisons in my head because the, the character is so deliciously camp. Mm-hmm. So, like, it feels like a character that would be straight, like, the, oh my god, in the 60s Batman show, oh, Robin, we, we gotta get to the Batcave, turns out our old, the old <laughs> villain, the Shakespearean actor-themed <laughs> bad guy is in town again, and and you just, like, cut, again, cut to a, a Dutch-angled uh, evil headquarters where Hugh Grant, the celebrity guest star of the episode, is just sort of talking to these mannequins. It's, it's so... So delightfully evil. Again, I putting this guy on the same pedestal for me of, of children bad guys as like Cruella Deville or Professor Radigan, like that sort of like camp villainy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Phoenix Buchanan wants to make his comeback with the greatest one man show the West End has ever seen. Mm. We also learned that the popping book is actually a map to a great treasure. That was the other thing that I compared to the sixties uh, Batman show because for some reason in a majority, it feels like, of the episodes of the 1960s Batman show, whatever the bad guy's doing has something to do with a secret treasure map that's hidden somewhere. There's a lot of secret treasures out there. There's a lot of secret treasures. Oh, I got a secret treasure. <laughs> I can't wait to see where this goes. I got, uh, you know, uh, I do uh, some Randy movies. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Mostly the just me, you know, uh, J-O-ing. <laughs> Not oh a lot of God. human women want to have sex with a bear. Oh, I see. Especially one that's like three foot tall and looks like a child. Right. Also, I have a smell about me. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Wasn't going to say anything. Sure. That's what meth smells like. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But uh-huh. I have a bunch of Betamax tapes. 
Oh. Of me just going to town on myself. <laughs> For $355, I'll draw you a map. <laughs> draw me a map to where the Betamax tapes of you jerking off are. Yes. Gotcha. Also, I can probably get them signed by Mr. Idris Elba. <laughs> You just don't tell, just don't tell daddy what's on them. Right, right, right. Okay, I, I, I will. I'll take that under advisement, uh, Baddington. Thank you. Now, in a brilliant move, we see Phoenix Buchanan's dog food commercial. Yes. Now, before this, he has a line about being in a spaniel's costume. Yes. I feel like the first time I watched it, I definitely glossed over that. Right, yes. Because when we hear that Phoenix Buchanan is in dog food commercials, we assume he's playing a human. Right. That is not the case. The the commercial even a- the commercial even sets you up with that idea because the first lines you hear in the commercial are from a British butler. Yeah. Making you assume that he is playing the butler in the scenario. Mm-hmm. Not so. He is in a ridiculous dog costume that looks like a like a muppet with the face cut out. Yeah, yeah. It's that shaggy and that poofy. Looks like sort of, uh, what is it, Sweetums? Uh, yeah, like Sweetums or maybe Rolf the dog. Sure, yeah. but like fluffier. But like huge. And it upper looks, crust, he has a monocle. He makes, yes, with a monocle. It makes the beaver costumes from the BBC Chronicles of Narnia adaptations look good by comparison. It still does not make Matilda look good, but nothing really can. No. Yeah. But it, it's such a goofy costume. He takes a forkful of the food, mm-hmm. which... Basically, the the concept of the commercials, he's playing a very discerning dog with yes. a discerning palate. He's like, uh, if your pooch wants the very best, you should try this kind of dog food. And after he takes a, a forkful of the food, we get a disclaimer that is not to be consumed by humans. <laughs> Hugh Grant deserved an Oscar for the Harley's dog food commercial alone. Absolutely. He should have gotten something. He should have gotten some recognition for this yeah. film. Like, official, like... Maybe not an Oscar. Some award that means something. But still. Uh, uh, Latin Grammy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Latin Grammy. Paddington is on trial. Yes. But who is the judge? The man whose hair he ruined. That's right. And right before that scene, you have uh, him saying, uh, I... I've been told that all I need is a fair judge. And then it cuts to, yes. Yes. Seeing that judge on the on the Again, stand. the criminal justice system is corrupt. Fully corrupt. It seems, I wonder what Paddington's bail was. <laughs> because he, he, he's out and about, like they don't bring him in from jail. Yes. So I wonder like. I don't know, but I do know, again, we do know that the Browns are fairly well off. So I'm sure that they were able to take care of True. it. Uh, and here's. And I also want to point out in this courtroom scene, just because making an effort to not mention works created by turf, so I won't talk about the show that I know this actor from, but just generally a fan of British comedy in general, made me very happy to see Richard Ayoade have a cameo. Oh, yeah. Ayoade. Ayoade. Richard Ayoade have a cameo. Uh, yeah, he's great as a forensic, forensic scientist. Who, yes. Uh, one of the uh, clues that it was possibly Paddington yes. is that Marmalade was found here, here, <laughs> And in this general vicinity, <laughs> circling the, the entire, entire store. Map. And they say, um, is this the same marmalade? And bring and bring him Paddington Supply. And he tastes it. And then with delivery of, of utter like horror and like certainty of, of someone on CSI Miami or something, he's like, the very same. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's fantastic. It's so good. But um, mm-hmm. Phoenix Buchanan testifies. Yes, because uh, he claims that he was he, he was witnessed an the whole eyewitness thing. to the crime. Yes, and he says he's. <laughs> Again, it's impossible to convey this performance. He says he saw Paddington riding a rather disreputable hound. <laughs> and also, again, like the, the character is so fully realized. Everything about him is ego. Yes. To the point where even when looking at the... A uh, sketch of the Beardman. A sketch of the Beardman made by Mrs. Brown. Yeah. He can't help but self-aggrandized like whoa oh, dashing chap says oh what a handsome devil what a handsome devil and phoenix buchanan is the deciding factor mm-hmm. if he has seen the beardman paddington can go free right but phoenix buchanan knows he needs to tie up every loose end he can yes and he says he didn't and paddington is sent to jail this is another fucking insane thing about this movie yeah I was the bear say, goes to jail we we've mentioned it several Wait, times. he doesn't go to jail he goes to prison he goes to prison We've mentioned it several times already at this point, so it's not a surprise that he goes to prison if you're listening. But I just want you to think about it, just in context of what you what you're watching <laughs> and the direction that this movie has decided to go. This is a child bear, a bear literally yes. like uh, three feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind of a child is going to be sent to big boy prison. Big boy prison, like like he's talking about big school. Yes, big exactly. Prison, the big house. Yeah, he doesn't even get sent to juvie. I got sent to juvie. I see how it works. Paddington always going to the big leagues. Paddington always going to juvie. Would you rather go have gone to adult jail? Paddington? I could take him. Okay. Okay. I have been to adult jail. You have been. Okay. I tried to join the Aryan Nation, <laughs> but they don't really have that in the UK. It's just Nazis. Right. Just, just, just straight up. But Nazis. I want the brand recognition. Right. On my right. <laughs> on my CV. On your CV. God. I, uh, I tried to join the Yardies. Jesus. Uh, I tried to join the IRA. <laughs> uh, no one wants Baddington. He's too bad. <laughs> Everyone's like, you're a loose cannon and you're three feet tall. Uh-huh. So you're not a child bear. You're just like a very I'm bear. the same age as Paddington because okay. of identical twin cousins. Right. How many times do I need to explain it to you? <laughs> gotcha. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need to listen better. But uh, but Paddington. Yes. Uh, this is another reason why I thought, I think people were confused about the legitimacy of my love for Paddington mm-hmm. 2. Is because the thing that I would always say about Paddington 2 is the bear goes to prison. Right. Because it's so fucking crazy. It's so crazy. And it's and so cute, though. The movie is so deft with how it handles its tone. Again, there's so many ch- children's films, so many family films involve, involving like these kind of IPs that always feel like they're going off the rails again with so many of them that involve pointless crime plots yeah. like i'm a big fan of the adams family movies which is another sort of like family friendly idea you mean the new adams family movies uh, no i'm talking okay. about the raul julia angelica houston adams family movies then they use these sort of family friendly ip in a big budget setting and they in- inject this crime plot that feels totally at odds with the rest of the movie 
this movie is completely different in which the fact that Paddington is going to prison doesn't feel like an afterthought, doesn't feel like something just there to give the movie plot. It is central to the themes of the film. Exactly. And And also to the progressive message of the film. And the movie manages to have this incredibly dark plot point happen in a way that doesn't feel at odds with the tone of the rest of the film in any way to the point where you have this moment this incredible moment he's being walked to his cell put in his cell and he turns around and says to the prison guard that's been walking him there i'm usually get a like a bedtime story read to me and the uh, and the prison guard said we don't have Bedtime stories being read here. We don't have bedtime stories in here. In here. And Paddington's face, if it was any way for it to fall any farther than it already has from him being in prison, it does. And you get that twist of a knife in your heart. Where you realize, like, like, this is a baby. This This is a baby in prison. Not only is it a baby, Which is my unproduced HBO pilot. (laughs) Baby in prison. The way that the tone has been so successfully handled, him saying this feels like one of the darkest moments from something like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. It feels like that moment of like, oh God, things truly are inhuman in here. Like so many other movies spend so much, so many rape scenes in prison movies trying yeah. to convey how bad prison is. And one line of a, of a prison guard telling a child bear that he's not going to get a bedtime story ruined me. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it, and I understand. Yeah. By the way, mm-hmm. this podcast will be free of prison rape jokes. <laughs> yes. Do not worry. Yeah, absolutely. But here's something that helps, mm-hmm. is that Paddington looks so fucking adorable in his prison outfit. Like, yes. it is one of the cutest things you will ever see. Yes. It's it's the classic black and white horizontal stripes, yes. but a bit faded. They are not. They don't pop, mm-hmm. uh, and he has a black and white vertical stripe cap. Yes. And it's just so goddamn cute. Paddington is one of the cutest cinematic characters to have ever existed. And again, you don't usually think of CGI creations as being that cute. I mean, I guess now you no, have, you have really. Baby Yoda and shit like that. Well, Baby Yoda's a puppet. That's right. It's it, a practical effect. It is a puppet. Before we get to the moment you just talked about, yes, the cinematography of Paddington walking through this prison mm-hmm. is absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Absolutely. It, it, this is the prison scenes, probably just because of how much Grand Budapest Hotel lives in my mind. Well, this is very Grand Budapest Hotel. The this prison is, scenes is, feel the most Wes Anderson. Absolutely, to me. absolutely. There are other sequences that take from Wes Anderson, especially the opening sequence where he's describing the stage of life that all the Browns are in. Yes, yeah, and sort but of the, going throughout the house. The prison sequence has the most Wes Anderson feel for me. And here, and I think that's another way of like the filmmakers sort of cutting the darkness. Like, here mm-hmm. we're going to amp up the whimsy, like, this is a bad place. Yes. Paddington should not be here. Right. But... Un- unquestioned. They, do, they don't shy away from that at But all. this is still... It's not scary. It's just bad. It's just... Yeah. It, this is a sad thing that he's in jail, but we're not going to... We're not returned to Oz. We're not no. here to traumatize children. We're here to carry this plot through and carry this this incredible message through. Paddington writes a letter to Aunt Lucy mm-hmm. saying he had to move, but mm-hmm. everything is okay. Mm-hmm. The Browns can only visit him once a month, and he's worried they'll forget him. The second he says that, we cut to the Browns 
going absolutely ham on trying to get him out of They're prison. They're fucking pounding the pavement, yeah. trying to find evidence of the Beardman. They have taken the printing press that Judy Brown was using to publish her newspaper and are instead using it to print out dozens and dozens and dozens of signs. And this is the first moment in the movie where I fully burst into tears. No, uh, it's... During this watch, at least. I don't remember the first time I watched it, but this time, like, the, the that one-two punch of... I hope they won't forget me to them fully having not forgotten him. I may cry now. Like, mm, it was so good. My, and this is something that really struck me on this watch. Like, I'm not going to say that. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe that Paddington 2 is a movie about prison reform yes. and the criminal justice system. It's, I believe that's blatant. It's a movie about progressive values in general, I would True. say. A more, like, just sort of a general progressive philosophy but on this watch Mm -hmm. i was sort of picking up things that resonated with my depression my neurodivergency where it's like Mm -hmm. i know that people love me but i'm like they'll forget about me like that like immediately yeah and like even though it's sort of like meant to be this childlike sentiment it's still Mm -hmm. like well shit i feel like that all the time Yes, I think that's true for both of us, and I think that's probably why this moment hits so hard. Yeah. Uh, because, because it is, it, yeah, it is something also, that I struggle with a lot. Even yeah. if we don't see it, we know mm-hmm. that people love us and care about us. It's just not in front of our face right now. Right. It's, it's, it, it is sort of like, uh, uh, a baby seeing their mom and mom puts their hands in front of their face. Oh no, where did mom go? Yeah, kind we have emotional thing. object impermanence. Uh, I yeah, that is kind of what ADHD is. <laughs> Just oh, I guess I of. have it too. You gave it to me, bitch. Oh, oh no, <laughs> I caught it from your toilet seat. It's catching. <laughs> uh, but oh, Phoenix no. Buchanan has infiltrated a museum. Yes. in a suit of armor, the stealthiest of outfits. <laughs> There's a common misconception about ninja. Yes. That they wore, like, cloth outfits? No, they got into full samurai armor. <laughs> See, part of what you clunk, just said... Clunk, 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 Part of what you just said was fully correct. So I was, like, wondering if you were going somewhere actually historically accurate with that. But no. <laughs> no, they went clunk, 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 went the ninja. Yep. Yes. He, here he finds the first clue to the treasure. Mm-hmm. D. D. Mm, he's looking for that D. He's looking for that D. But every time he finds a letter as he's searching for these things, he draws it in... Oh, what a bitch. ...in, in the pop-up, popping book. And again, because this movie is so perfect at drawing you into its worldview and the way that it's the world is and, and like aligning yourself with Paddington in this sort of very black and white view of morality. Yeah. Him drawing in that book is a slap in the face. Yeah. No, uh, it sucks. I, it's a one of a kind. Yeah. Uh, heirloom. I wrote <laughs> the note I wrote is how dare you write an aunt Lucy's book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new day at prison and Paddington is leading with kindness and manners as mm-hmm. he was taught by aunt Lucy. Yes. He asks a huge inmate named T-Bone <laughs> uh, if he'd like to start a gardening club. Yes. And the inmate threatens to kill Paddington. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Grant, he doesn't say, I'm going to murder you. He says, how about I bury you in a real deep hole? Yes. Or something to that effect. Yes. Which Paddington doesn't say this, but uh, probably assumes... 
that the guy has misunderstood how to garden. Yes. Yes, knowing Paddington. Paddington is assigned to laundry duty, mm-hmm. but that silly bear puts a red sock in with all the black and white uniforms, cut to all the inmates in uh, sort of a light... Again, they're not bright colors yet, Yeah, because this is the sad place. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a faded, but everyone's in pink, and they're not happy about it because they're all hardened criminals. Before we get to this upcoming sequence, I just want to say that before he gets the red sock in the washer, there isn't another slapstick sequence involving the laundry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for my day job, work in a hotel. Yes. And this scene hit a little too close to home for me. <laughs> but uh, also, I just want to say that these prison pink uniforms uh, have become, in my head, one of those iconic cinematic images. Of just, just all the of, inmates staring. All of the inmates just in the pink outfits is, to me, as iconic as the the floors of the Red Room in Twin Peaks. Sure. It's just one of those images that, again, talking about our neurodivergence, my brain is locked onto, and that is going to be with me until I die. It's gotcha. just, like, all of the prisoners... Throughout the rest of these prison sequences, all of them in these pink and gray striped uniforms, it's that's just locked in. It's such a, a an amazing image in my brain. I understand. Yeah. Uh, it's lunchtime, and the food is awful. Seems to have hair, mm. like like fur in it. Like yes. a big clump of like pet fur. Big clump uh, of fur that someone does not know that someone's eating. And Paddington wonders why nobody talks to the chef, because nobody enjoys this food. Right. But they've been eating it for ten years, three meals a day. There's He's warned against talking to Knuckles. There's one prisoner, by the way, who... As we see, as we as the scenes go on, constantly forming his food into an elaborate structure of a windmill, which gets more elaborate every time the camera cuts back to I him. I did not notice and that. And I fucking love that. Now, <laughs> this movie's attention to detail is incredible. And the, the T-Bone, the inmate that threatened to murder this baby, mm-hmm. uh, says he should go do it. Yeah, he says, you, you need to talk to Knuckles. You now, should tell him that you don't like the food. He would want to know. I know what everyone's thinking. Right. Knuckles the Echidna. <laughs> oh my god. Paddington this, Sonic crossover. This is where we tie in Idris Elba being uh, the father of, <laughs> or the caretaker of Baddington. I I asked Daddy. Yes. I asked Daddy if I could voice Tails. I see. And he did not return my phone call. <laughs> so you know what I did? What'd you do? I set a homeless man on fire. <laughs> That seems unrelated. <laughs> I, you, how else am I going to get Daddy's attention? Uh, I I think you need to sit down with Idris Elba and have a long conversation because clearly he's so busy DJing. <laughs> and I tried to DJ, uh-huh. but you know what? These claws were meant to scratch people, not records. I gotcha. I'll throw hands every time I get a chance to. <laughs> and by like hands, it. I mean paws. Right. Yes. And by throw, I mean smoke meth. <laughs> But also, I hurt a lot of people because it makes me feel like a big man. <laughs> now we we get introduced to another amazing character, Knuckles McGinty, played by the ever fantastic, one of the greatest character actors on earth, uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yes, I think Brendan Gleeson might be one of my favorite actors working today. Absolutely, he's, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything where I didn't love him. Yeah, no, he's every time I see that he's he he's one of those actors, kind of like uh, honestly like Peter Capaldi or James McAvoy for me, where I'm like, if he is in something, I need to see it. Yeah, like I have no interest in whatever the fuck Mister Mercedes is. 
I oh, is uh, absolutely on my list just because he's in it. Mr. Mercedes is fine. Yeah, but that's what it, all I hear is like, that it's, it's fine. But like it's I mean just it's just fucking Brennan Gleason. I have to watch Instead it. of watching eighty hours of Star Trek in a week, just burn through all three seasons of Mr. Mercedes. <laughs> Well, I mean, the the most recent season of Dimension Twenty just ended, so I have I need something to do, but, as uh, well. Yeah, no, Brendan Gleeson is fucking incredible, and I love, I love that he's in this movie. I love that they were like, oh my god, we need like it's not, I don't know, like they got a le- all these people are legitimate actors. Sally Hawkins, fucking huge. Uh, Imelda Staunton is one of the all great, of these is, people. Is an like, incredible fucking actor. It's not all stunt. Like let's. No, it's not stunt casting. They just cast a incredibly Who? stacked cast. Who's fucking intimidating, uh, and also awesome. Yes, Brendan Gleeson. He, he he is. It is sort of a a moment where you're just. Because Brendan Gleeson does have a type that he plays. He's yes. He plays the intimidating Irishman in everything, and it so well, casting in, him in this part does immediately mean something to the audience when they see it. True. As much as uh, in the Man Who Fell to Earth, the audience of the 1970s would have seen David Bowie mean like Space Alien. Got it. Like you've it, never it, seen that movie. I never have, but I know that's why they cast him. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he also does this incredible tightrope walking act where he plays a hardened criminal character who at no point do you not believe is a hardened criminal who is threatening and has inflicted violence on people in the past, or at least has a reputation of doing that, Um, but at the same time is a character that the audience is supposed to love and yeah. supposed to really identify with it in a certain point. It's such an incredibly difficult tightrope act to walk. I don't think as an actor that I could do it. I don't know how I could wrap my brain around it, that. It's hard. Like and I, he's, and it's, and it's, he makes it look easy. And that bear's not there. That bear is not fucking there. So he's acting against a person in a green fucking ping pong ball suit mm-hmm. or a fucking tennis ball or whatever the fuck they're using. Or maybe just nothing. Maybe just nothing. And I genuinely keep forgetting that. Yeah. Yeah. As we're talking about it, as I'm watching the movie, I fully forgot that that's because the case. Because it's not just with Knuckles. It's not just with Brendan Gleeson where he's mm-hmm. just having this amazing chemistry with this fucking CGI bear. For it's real, like though. all of the Browns, Mrs. Bird, you believe yeah. they love this thing that yeah. does not exist in reality. Not just yeah. the concept of a talking bear, but they were acting against nothing and being like, yeah, the bear is very special to me. The bear is not on set. <laughs> no. Uh, also, Do you I, think they had like a baby bear cub and like a very tight cage <laughs> um, that like God, Hugh I Bonneville would just like <laughs> stare and be like, Oh, that poor bear. <laughs> I I do think I he know. must have been on set to deliver. That his would lines be nice to believe. Just because, like, again, the performances are so believable and so good. They must have been acting against something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe they're just that incredible. But it's possible. It know. is a great cast. It is an incredible but cast. Paddington goes to talk to Knuckles, and he gives him mm-hmm. some constructive criticism, yes. which also involves bopping him on the head with a baguette, or as Knuckles calls it, a bagwet. <laughs> Which That's right. I could believe, like, I could believe that was in the script. I could believe that was a Brendan Gleeson improv. Either, Either way, way, it's fucking hilarious. Whoever came up with that, genius. But he also having Brendan Gleeson, incredible stage and film actor, going, don't hit, don't ever hit me again with a bagwet. 
But he also, Paddington also ends up spraying the apron with ketchup and mustard. Yes. Again, perfectly innocently, Paddington yeah. has no malice or guile to anything that he does. He's not, he's not Bart Simpson. No, he's not. He's not, he, at no point does Paddington tell any character to eat his shorts. Nor does he say, don't have a cow. That's true. Paddington is a person, is a bear. Yes. Who, if a person wanted to have a cow. Yeah. Let him. Absolutely. You do you. Absolutely. I remembered what I was going to say, uh, what feels like half an hour back now. Sure. I just wanted to point out that the sock turning things pink was also done in The Simpsons. Oh, in the was episode it? episode where Bart's lucky red cap got put into the wash with Homer's work shirt. Uh, and he went to work in a pink shirt. And that ended up, that eventually led to him being committed to an insane asylum. <laughs> where he met. Michael Jackson. <laughs> In an episode you cannot watch on Disney Plus. I'm uh, sorry. I wonder why. Um, but yes, uh, and also at some point during this scene, I think we passed it. Uh, but I, before we move too far, another one of Aunt Lucy's aphorisms is mentioned, where she says, "This one honestly almost means more to me than." the one that the movie is mostly based on, the one yeah. about being nice to people and everything mm. will work out. Aunt Lucy says, if you look for the good in people, you will find it. And that is such a beautiful thing to me. And we're going uh, to get a yes. tremendous speech at mm-hmm. the end that reflects that very well. Yeah, I think, um, that, I think that we could say that this mo- that is a- absolutely also a theme of this movie. It just is not said as often as the first one that was said in the opening. But Knuckles is firmly about to murder this bear. Absolutely. But, somehow, in the fracas, mm-hmm. I don't, I've watched it a couple times, I'm still not under, sure how this happens. Paddington has a marmalade sandwich that he has yes. stashed away that he has not eaten. But mm-hmm. as he is struggling to get away, it ends up in Knuckles McGinty's mouth. Yes. And it changes him. It changes him on a deep level. Knuckles has never had this marmalade. Marmalade. <laughs> Again, like, talking about timing again, uh, bears flailing, 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 the sandwich ends up in Knuckles McGinty's mouth, the camera is is mostly on Paddington, uh, and he, like, opens his squinched up eyes to be like, why am I not being punched? Cut directly to Bren Gleason's face. Bren Gleason's eyes have turned into Bambi's eyes. Yes. Somehow. And he is... Throughout, through only the power of Brendan Gleason's acting, uh, just turned into, into Bambi eyes and just like... What is this perfection I taste? And he is no hands eating this, much like Paddington ate the sandwich at the beginning of the film when he was rescued by Aunt Lucy. Apparently it's the correct way to eat No, a that's the transformative way to oh, eat Oh, I see. Okay. It's, it's the moment that made Paddington who he is, and it's a moment that's going to change Knuckles McGinty forever. And he takes Paddington under his pr- protection. Yes. That's the protection of Knuckles McGinty, Knuckles with a capital N. <laughs> And he has his name tattooed on his knuckles, yes. misspelled, misspelled with an unnecessary apostrophe. Right. If you are ever, for whatever reason, writing down anything about this movie, the proper spelling of this character's name is N-U-C-K-E-L-S. E-L apostrophe S. Get it right, because branding is very important. Mrs. Brown... Mm-hmm. thinks there was a reason why the thief took the popping book. Mm-hmm. They go to the steam fair and talk to Madame Koslova, who 
the fair is named after. Yes. And whose grandmother, also named Madame Kostlova, yes. starred the steam fair and made the popping book for each city she visited. Yes. The original Madame Kostlova was beautiful and talented on the trapeze, and everywhere she went, she was given great riches. Jewelry was thrown at her. Yes. And she hid it away, mm-hmm. and she was killed by a magician. Yes. Oh, I'm a magician. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Baddington, you're a magician? Yeah. Okay. I'll do close-up magic. Okay. Like uh, that guy from Night Court. <laughs> Like Harry, Harry Anderson. Anderson, yeah. You do have a sort of yeah. Harry, you do have a sort of Harry the Hat energy to you. Well, yes. he's he's the. I only do one trick. Okay. Okay. And I get in a car. All right. And I drive it off a ramp through a hoop of fire. Okay. And you give me fifteen hundred dollars. That's not exactly close up magic. You're pretty far away from the. You person. can stand as close as you want, mate. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Just give me my fucking money, Tossa. <laughs> also, what's the magic trick part of it? Ah, uh, you're amazed. <laughs> that's not a Harry that a the bear hat. can do that. That's not a Harry Anderson trick. That's a evil Knievel trick. You're evil Knievel. Okay, thank you. I guess no, <laughs> not a compliment. <laughs> what do you have against evil Knievel? He called me the N word. <laughs> he was very drunk. Oh, God. And he didn't have his bifocals. (laughs) The magician killed her, hoping to get to her riches. Mm -hmm. But when he went to go open her strong box, all he found was the popping book. While you're watching this movie, if you're not watching it to take notes for a podcast... Uh, you're just sort of like being brought along on this adventure. Mm-hmm. It's everything feels like a part of the world that you're watching. Yeah. But to take a step back for a second, this movie that I started off the episode comparing to the feeling of watching an episode of Peppa Pig or Bluey now has a circus magician murder plot in it. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> and it's it's very quick. It's very, yeah. it's not a big deal isn't made of it. No, but, and there's uh, there's no blood or nothing. There's no. it's, it's not especially violent. A magician murder. just arranges a trapeze artist to fall from a great height. Yes. Like magicians often do. Like magicians often I do. I assume to get into the go- to get into the magic castle in LA. You have to have provably you have murdered to, you have at to least be, one trapeze artist. You have to be a practicing magician. Right. You have to do an audition. Yeah. You also have to have proof that you murdered some sort of circus entertainer. Right, Could right. be a lion tamer, could be a trapeze artist, could be a strong man. Absolutely. But it has to be a circus performer of yes. some kind, and not a magician. They look, they, they, they frown yeah. on killing other magicians. Mrs. Brown figures out that the popping book is a treasure map to Madame Kostlova's fortune. Mm-hmm. Mr. Brown doesn't buy it. Mm-hmm. He is a constant naysayer through this movie. Yes. And Mrs. Brown comments that he's so close-minded. Yeah. What happened to the man she married? Mr. Brown says he's long gone. He's just mm-hmm. a creaky old man. No longer Bullseye Brown, who is a daft hand at throwing baseballs at coconuts. We get a flashback to his heyday, mm. which seems to be the 70s, I Yeah, I think it's supposed to be the 70s, yeah. But that would, he seems like 20 in this, that would make him 70. <laughs> Almost 70 at the time this is taking place. Oh, but man. he it has could be the 80s, I guess. He had he looks like a hippie because he has yeah. this long shoulder-length hair. Mm-hmm. He has a bandana wrapped around his forehead. Yeah. Uh shades and he's he's play he's throwing the ball at the coconuts, which mm-hmm. I guess is a traditional British carnival game. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Boney M's song Daddy Cool is playing. <laughs> And this, Boney M is a great disco band. Mm -hmm. Go listen to Daddy Cool. Fantastic song. This is so fucking hilarious. This is one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen. Because this is so low stakes. Yes. This is so low stakes for someone to base their coolness on. Yes. It's, oh my god. hey, he isn't just the person who based his coolness on it. His wife is in the sequence. Is, is so enamored she, with his ability. She's over the moon for him. And at in the this. beginning, as she as she uh, foreshadows, she says she mentions his daft hand of the coconuts. Yes, says people used to call him Bullseye Brown. Yes. Apparently, he had like folk legend status. Yes, no, absolutely. And again, in the world of this movie, the way that this movie is set up, it feels like, of course, that's just how this works. But. That this is a source mm-hmm. of Henry Brown's insecurity, where it's like, oh, couldn't do that anymore. I, I could, I could, I used to be a contender. Uh, no, the Daddy Cool flashback takes place over the course of I no more than maybe five seconds. It's of very quick. Time. It's very quick, but it's such a hilarious image, and it's perfect. It's, it's, it's such a great joke. It's beautiful. Next, we learn that the murder magician was Phoenix Buchanan's grandfather. Is this where we learn that? Yes. Okay. Somehow I missed that and thought we only learned that at the very end. Nope. He meant he says he has a picture of the magician. He says grandfather. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the next clue is at a cathedral. I think it's Saint Paul's. Uh, I'm not sure. Very iconic landmark cathedral yes. in in uh, London. So of course Phoenix Buchanan goes undercover as a nun. Of course. And the joke is never like. Oh, there's a man dressed in women's clothing. Right, yeah. It's just that Hugh Grant is dressed as a nun. Yeah, it's just it's more just that this character is so extra. Is so extra. He doesn't even think like I could go undercover as a priest. Oh well, I mean that's part of his clever plan, as we see later on. But we're back in prison. Knuckles wakes Paddington up to make marmalade. <laughs> which Knuckles is not going to help and forbids Paddington from making noise. He's also very critical of Paddington's methods. Yes. When Paddington says he finds the working environment stressful, God bless that bear. God bless that bear for saying it. Yes. And he's about to quote Aunt Lucy, as he often does. Yes. When Knuckles makes a critical mistake, Mm -hmm. he insults Aunt Lucy. Mm -hmm. He calls her gullible, Mm -hmm. naive, Mm -hmm. mushy-minded, an old bat. And Paddington gives Knuckles a hard stare, which he was... Taught by Aunt Lucy. Yes. To give when people forget their manners. He gives just like this absolute daggers glare mm. that fully shakes up Knuckles. He, he is, is put in his place. Put in his place. I also, again, talking about details that this movie has, during the scene, Knuckles is, when he's not helping Paddington, he's reading a newspaper called The Hard Times. <laughs> and the headline says, Get out of jail free card, not legally binding, Judge says. There's a lot of little jokes like that in the papers. Yeah. But Paddington says that even though he looks like a hardened criminal, mm-hmm. he's innocent. Knuckles can either help him clear his name or mm-hmm. help him make marmalade. Knuckles says his mitts aren't good, much good for cooking. Mm-hmm. But Paddington sees a fine pair of orange squeezers. Yeah. His, his skills with knives and brutal fisticuffs <laughs> will do him very well when it comes to cutting up uh, ingredients and squeezing oranges. Now I want an Iron Chef type show. <laughs> 
That's like sort. Have you ever heard of chess boxing? Uh, I don't know. What is chess boxing? Chess boxing is where you play some chess and then box, and then go back okay, and forth. Okay, so it's the stupidest version of of what you might think chess boxing yeah. would be. I want I want uh, cook boxing. <laughs> I want. I want knuckles in the Iron Chef arena. Mm-hmm. You cook while it's baking. You just beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to say you wanted a version of Iron Chef where all of the contestants are people currently incarcerated, and they are using and they're making dishes just based only on, like commissary food based and... on crimes that they've committed in the past. Oh, that would be great too. Yeah, I'd also just love a show where inmates got to cook. I think that's that great. would be fucking wonderful, and that's I think in sort of where this movie is going. Yeah, just in, yeah, we'll get to it when we get to we it. We get a cute cooking montage of the mm-hmm. two making marmalade. Mm-hmm. Paddington adds a lot of sugar, a lot of sugar. Now, you gotta, you just gotta. Now, and I feel like I I say this every twenty minutes, <laughs> but here we get another one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. The Browns go to the cathedral where the mm-hmm. police are investigating. Here we meet my favorite character. Oh my god, Barry, the security guard. Played by Simon Farnaby, the co-writer. Uh, Simon oh, Farnaby, he? yeah. Simon Farnaby, this is a recurring character from the first film. Is he really? Okay. Yes. Simon Farnaby, the only thing, he's pretty well known in the UK, I guess. Okay. But uh, I only know him from the film Mindhorn, which is not great. It's okay. It's not great. But he's in it, and he's hilarious. In Mindhorn. In Mindhorn, and in this. Because he's he is definitely hilarious he here. Is I've not seen nor heard of Mindhorn. hilarious. The Browns ask... What happened? <laughs> and Barry says, Anon went berserk. Happens all the time. <laughs> and he's so casual. He's so flimpin' about. He's so assured in this idea that nuns go berserk. That word, berserk, it's the perfect oh choice. Oh, God. Go berserk all the time. Um, this character, uh, what what's the character's name? Barry. Barry the guard is the best security guard character in any movie ever made. Yes. Like, just, he's absolutely casual, un- unflappingly casual the entire time, sipping from his cup. <laughs> Even in a s- flashback we get of him yeah. doing well, we'll actual we'll actions, he still got the cup. The only thing he ever does is, just in this moment, right after giving that thing, the only sort of security guarding he ever does... Oh, yeah, a nun is about to cross the line, the police line. He's like, Oi! Oi! (laughs) He just, like, raises a hand. He's like, Oi! Get back in there, sister! But uh, he was the witness to the crime. Yes. He saw a nun branch off, which was, of course, Phoenix Buchanan. Yes. Collecting another clue. And during the course of the collection, he caused a statue to fall to the ground. Mm -hmm. Barry radios for backup, stating that an unusually attractive nun (laughs) is causing chaos. (laughs) And they need to stop that stunning sister! (laughs) (laughs) And... Okay, so the joke of Barry in the first film mm-hmm. was that for some reason, Mr. Brown dresses up like a lady. Right. And he goes to somewhere, the Geographic Institute, whatever, and Barry's a security guard there, and he's attracted to Mr. Brown in dress. I never feel like the joke of this is that, oh, haha, Barry is gay, or Barry likes 
whatever. I think it's just that, like, maybe Barry finds men attractive. Like, yeah. It, which I, it's, it's, it's it not, doesn't feel like a punch-down joke. It does not feel like a punch-down joke. It feels like uh, Barry thinks he's so great, but is oblivious to the fact that this is a man in drag. Mm-hmm. And also, he is so casual about professing his attraction to yeah. this perp and it's, it's it's the performance of Barry more than the actual fact like if if we're simply in love with a man in drag the movie doesn't feel like it would think less of him for that no it but it's more just sort of again Barry is so Barry yes. the way that he the way that he is and just like it cuts back to him and he's still like casually sipping his drink he's like the most beautiful nun I've ever seen in my <laughs> life and he's he's got this sort of like this cop weird yeah, uh, he's sort so of energy of, to him. Like, he's the hero of Paddington, too. Yes. Even yeah. though he's just in this one scene. He's fully um, convinced of his own stardom of this film. And and he's talking about how, like, after he spotted mm-hmm. Phoenix Buchanan, he's like, so, of course, I jumped into action. Like you were saying, he's, like, just trotting along, mm-hmm. sipping his coffee. Like, it's, yeah. it's fucking hilarious. It's so goddamn h- funny. That being said, just because... Especially in England recently, I heard I heard someone, an English person uh, that I follow on YouTube, actually refer to England as Turf Island. Uh, there's there's like a lot of issues in in the UK right now when it comes to queer representation, queer rights, yeah. Uh, in general, not that we in the US would know anything about that, but uh, I just so I will say for the record, the movie doesn't have any queer representation in it. No. Uh, and if you and as we always say. If you disagree with us, if you find this joke offensive, you're right, and you should. Uh, that's that's up yeah. to you. The we don't think that this was intended with malice, no. but to be, it's not like we can definitively point to something and be like, "See, the movie has this grand message about queer representation." Yeah, no, it's just it's a light joke. It just that it's is either silly going to thing. be funny or not to you. It's entirely up to yes. you. Yes, I find it hilarious and and, I, and not harmful but no i don't we think so. are both straight white cis men as yes. we always have to say yes yeah <laughs> and phoenix buchanan escapes by doing a quick change into a bishop's outfit see that's why he couldn't do the priest he had to start with a nun so right. that he could switch and make the quick getaway later the browns ask if they could describe this nun and barry is more than willing <laughs> so it would be my pleasure and then goodbye, Barry. Thanks for being in our film. Oh my god! Uh, it's time for the prisoners to try the marmalade sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Knuckles is very nervous about the response, but the inmates love it. Yes, they applaud for Paddington and Knuckles, who has a strange, warm feeling in his tum tum. I think that's pride. I don't like it. <laughs> the inmates wonder if there's anything for dessert, or as they say in England. Pudding. Pudding. Which, if you've ever heard Another Brick in the Wall, that intro, like, you can't have your meat until you eat your pudding. That's not literal pudding, like jello pudding. You can't have your pudding until you eat your meat. True. Sorry. That's okay. I've only listened to that song a hundred thousand times to the point where I don't enjoy it anymore. (laughs) Um, You can't have your pudding until you eat your meat. Yes. Pudding is what they call dessert. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Which did definitely confuse me as a child listening to that song. Oh, it did for me as long. Yeah. But it, it still made sense. I was like, also, yeah, you got you to gotta eat your dinner for your dessert, which is jello pudding. Jello pudding. I'll, another one uh, that confused me is as a kid watching the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. They, the Cratchits are at home saying, like, oh man, we got to get ready for this Christmas pudding. We got to get ready for this Christmas pudding. And they pull out the Christmas pudding, and it's like a cake. It's like a lava cake. Yeah. And as a kid, I was just like, English pudding is so weird. Like, why does it look like that? <laughs> but Paddington and Knuckles only know how to make marmalade. Yes. But Paddington opens the floor if the inmates know any recipes. Yeah. And they do, including Charlie Rumble, who makes a mean apple crumble. <laughs> Incredible. Charlie Rumble, by the way, never says a line in the movie. He just grunts. He grunts. So someone else has to inform us all that Charlie Rumble knows how to make a mean apple crumble. Yes. I don't know. That line makes me so happy. I'm not sure what it is. I just love it. I this just is, love that this is known about Charlie this Rumble. This is known, yes. Uh, T-Bone offers to make a very elaborate, I can't even remember what it's called, a very elaborate... Very elaborate dessert with like this incredible sauce. It sounds like something that Gordon Ramsay would make. But here's where the prison reform happens. Uh, yeah. Soon the canteen... In a montage. In a montage. In sort of, not really even a mon... Just like... Just more they're like a musical, sweeping a through the number. canteen, mm -hmm. and as they're sweeping through it, it changes. But it's become colorful. It's become warm. Here's my big problem with this film. It seems like now all these inmates are eating is dessert. <laughs> That's not a balanced a, diet. A dessert cart, like all they're eating is like yeah, sweets. Yes, truly, like, truly. You need protein. Yeah, you need some starches. You need some veggies. <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it, it is a, a a fantasy world. It we is. Can, we can allow it. Some, it is. Some, it's, allow, some things. This here. is what. Again, this is the childlike nature of it, and the yes. childlike nature of Paddington. Exactly. But I just imagine all these men like their teeth rotting out of their head. <laughs> I feel so bad for them. Like uh, the movie does make a point of uh, while Paddington eats almost exclusively marmalade sandwiches. He always eats it on whole grain bread. Oh, does he? Yes, it's always whole grain bread. I know the crusts were cut off. I did not the get the whole grain. The crusts were cut off, but it was whole. it's whole grain. You can. I noticed it when he shoved it into Knuckles' mouth. Oh, okay. You get a really good look you, at you it at that point. Some of those seeds. It's not just the canteen. Yeah. The whole prison is transforming. Mm -hmm. There are flower boxes mm -hmm. on the, on the uh, guardrails. The inmates dance. They jump rope. The warden even reads them bedtime stories. Yes. And again, this is childish. It's outlandish. But it's mm -hmm. making a point that if you treat people right, if you treat, if you people, treat people with people kindness, like if people, you, yeah. then prison can ap ac actually be rehabilitative. Exactly. But America is the land of the for-profit prison, so it right. doesn't make sense to rehabilitate people. Yeah. And, so. the, and also, like, all the... The, the myth of the tough-on-crime narrative and, like, yeah. oh, the, the lone cop trying to clean up these streets has made us view criminals as less than human. Yeah, but... And the, the point of this movie is that even someone like Knuckles McGinty, who is as stereotypical a bad dude as yeah. you can get in any of these movies, again, played by Brendan Gleeson, a man who has spent his entire career playing stereotypical bad dudes mm -hmm. if you look for the good in people you will find it if you treat people like people they're much more likely to grow and change as a person than they yeah, are no. to otherwise it, 
the in this you see this in like if you look in the in the real world applications of this any time that you see like prison programs oh yeah like, like we're going to do yoga we're going to do theater we're going to do something to engage in like organizations that have taken like overflow from animal shelters and allowed prisoners to have pets to yeah. take care of in John prisons. Waters taught in prisons what did he teach uh he would like teach film he would teach writing stuff like that that is Every time you say something about that man, he becomes more badass in my mind. He's incre- I highly recommend his book, Shock Value. Absolutely, yeah. And again, um, it's not like the movie is... It, it's all meant to be sweet and family-friendly. It's, it's not it's bonking not, you over yeah. the head with it. It's just, like, it's just obvious if you are yeah. in any way progressive where it's like, oh... Right, yeah, treat people like humans. It's kind of like the anti-capitalist messages in Mary Poppins. You probably have never thought about Mary Poppins as an anti-capitalist movie, but the minute I said that, you started thinking about it, and you're like, oh yeah, yes it is. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen Mary Poppins front to back. Really? And not in what Uh, little I watched of it, I watched as a very young boy. One of my favorite movies of all time. Really? It's an incredible film. Because you're a fan of great accents. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly right. Then, the next day, the Browns visit and relay the popping book plot to Paddington. Mm -hmm. Then we get another one of my absolute favorite scenes. One of the best scenes. Uh, (laughs) Where they're talking about, like, there's this gang of men, but no one identifies them. And Knuckles Knuckles pops up and is like, why don't you let me take a look? And soon, all of Paddington's new prison friends are popping into this visit yes. and they all give a little salutation they all give a little hello they want to meet the browns that they've heard so much yeah. about paddington's such a nice little boy and it's just this this you think it's gonna stop but it keeps it going keeps it going. keeps going and it's like one of them like says he hopes he can depend on the browns for their vote <laughs> um it's, Which it's, is never really explained. No, it, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. We just see all these characters, and they all are so friendly. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's quite a rogues gallery. I wish I'd thought to write down all of their names because all of them are hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember most of them. I know Spoons is one of the main gang that we're going to see later. Yes, but it's so good. While Mrs. Brown mm-hmm. is super pleased to meet all of Paddington's new friends. Yeah. Mr. Brown is less enthused. Right. He reaches over. He sw- Obviously, they're in like the classic mm-hmm. uh, visitation thing. There's a glass divider. He switches off the microphone, and he, he begins to denigrate these men, say, like, they're criminals, mm-hmm. they're... Uh, they're no good like we shouldn't be relying on them and knuckles informs him that he turned off the light not the microphone but again <laughs> we're in other with the great delivery of brennan gleason going like the switch for the microphone is on the other side it's labeled <laughs> microphone <laughs> but again like it's not like none of them go off on mr brown no. they're like no i get it mm-hmm. if there are any a group of criminals it would be us if, if there was any if there was anyone who would know a group of criminals yeah. it would be us and given that everything seems hopeless because mm-hmm. even they don't recognize the suspects they say this looks less like a gang and more like a costume party uh, mrs brown walks through the neighborhood which has become much less friendly without paddington and you see specifically it's because paddington isn't there like the woman who always forgets her breakfast doesn't have her breakfast and is now shorter with everyone because she's hungry the man who calls him puddington who mm-hmm. he would always remind about his keys gets locked out of his gets house locked out of his house here capaldi's characters running around being a dick to everybody about yeah. this he couldn't be happier about this situation she runs into phoenix buchanan who mm-hmm. is curious about 
about the investigation. Yes, they, I wonder why. They go to Phoenix Buchanan's place, and Phoenix Buchanan thinks Mrs. Brown is barking up the wrong tree about all this stuff. Yeah. But he has good news. And she's excited. What? What's good news? He thinks he's secured funding for his one-man show. <laughs> It's a musical and character review. Oh, and he launches God. into a bit of a song. Listen to the rain on the roof. Go pit, pity, pat, pit, pity, pat. Oh, no, you look sad. Oh, no, you don't like musicals. What a oh, gigantic asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but Mary is actually sad because life is going on without Paddington. Yes. But Phoenix Buchanan slips up. He mentions that the man had dazzling blue eyes. Again, because his ego is always getting in the way. Not only can he not conceive of someone not being interested in the idea of him having a one-man show, but also he can't stop complimenting the drawing that he knows is of him. Yes. He's pathologically incapable of not self-aggrandizing at any given moment. And Mrs. Brown catches him. It's a pencil sketch. Yeah. There is no color. And Mrs. Brown realizes that. Phoenix Buchanan is the culprit. I also appreciate that this in this movie, the the wife is the... I guess it's not that uncommon, but she's the voice of reason. She's the clever one. It's it's voice of reason, but not in that sort of like hacky, sitcom-y way where everything is being told from the male perspective and is like, I guess it's time for my wife to save my ass again. It's, yeah. it's more of like, she's her own character. She's, in, she's a character in her own right. But her personality and what she's going through with her search for an adventure and Mm -hmm. to be involved in this movie allows her to see things that her husband, who is very introspective and very sort of like... consumed in his midlife crisis. Consumed in his midlife crisis, he is unable to see. And we also will point out Mm -hmm. that Phoenix Buchanan is a Platinum Club member of Mr. Brown's company. Yes. What company does... Is it like insurance it's, it's, or something? It's insurance. Okay, gotcha. While Miss, Mr. Brown does not believe Mary, mm-hmm. Mrs. Bird does. And she says that actors are the most evil, devious people on the planet. They lie for a living, which is a criticism I've often heard of actors. At something... I don't know, maybe it's because I am an actor. Actors viciously taking the piss on actors... Oh, it's hilarious. always the best thing in it's the world It's always fucking to funny. Me. I, I it's I've seen that joke before. Like oh, yeah, I said, no, I, I've it's, heard it's a that. common bit. But, uh, but it's, I, great. it's always it always tickles me because we are terrible. Yeah, no, we're we're the worst. There's a reason we want to be other people. Yeah, 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 absolutely. In prison, Knuckles and a few other inmates, including Spoons, mm-hmm. and I don't know if Spoons and the man who looks like Nick Cave are the same person. I don't know, but there's a man who looks a lot like Nick Cave. Knuckles and a few other inmates are planning a jailbreak so they can hit the streets and clear Paddington's name. Woo! Paddington isn't on board. He believes in the Browns. Yes. And Knuckles and the others tell him that the Browns will forget about him. In several situations in this movie, while the prisoners are definitely... They do want the best for Paddington. They are his friends. They still, because of their background and what they've experienced before meeting Paddington, are often the voice of the cynical, worldly view encroaching on Paddington's sort of uh, more silver lining view of the world. And here's where I also Optimistic. got... Optimistic, that was the word I couldn't Here's find. where I also got more neurodivergency vibes, where it's like, mm-hmm. Paddington is speaking to the other prisoners through a pipe. Yes. He is not having a face-to-face encounter with them. They are effectively voices mm-hmm. telling him the worst. Exactly. So, like, I identified with that, where it's like, well, I know in my heart this is true. Right. But at the same time, I have these voices 
telling me the worst possible things. Yeah, absolutely. The Browns go to visit Phoenix Buchanan's agent. Played and they by, also played by Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley, yes. Who I love always. And record some of what she says. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Mrs. Bird distracts a postman as Mrs. Brown hides herself in a large basket mm-hmm. in the back of the postman. Now, this postman, I recognize his voice. Oh. He is Joel Fry, who plays Frenchie on Our Flag Means Death. Oh. So he is he has gone on from this very bit part to yeah. a pretty sizable role in an HBO television show. That's fantastic. I also wanted to make the Our Flag Means Death during the moment when the prison warden was reading uh, stories to a bunch of hardened <laughs> criminals, but I forgot to, so I, I'll bring it up now. But yeah. The postman delivers Mrs. Brown in the basket to Phoenix Buchanan's house. Mm -hmm. When he arrives home, he gets a call from the Brown children who play sound clips of the agent to lure Phoenix Buchanan out of the house so Mrs. Brown can sneak around. And I just want to touch uh, on, very quickly, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. One of the lines that they recorded of Joanna Lumley, because she's Joanna Lumley, of course she was going to say this, she keeps talking about these pastries they brought in. Yes. And she says, nice buns by the way and so they accidentally play that part of the recording over the phone with phoenix buchanan and phoenix responds thank you i've never had any complaints about mr and mrs butty cheek some of the some of the language used in this film is almost like uk akewoodian Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It's yeah. so odd, like, uh... But it's well, all, and it's always very, like, just like Akewood, everything that a character says is so completely them, and yes. no other, you couldn't take a line that any character has, give it to any other character, and have it make sense. But yeah, I almost wrote down the body cheek line. Yes. Uh, Mr. Brown sees her through the window, mm-hmm. and goes over to scold her. He's in his bathrobe, he's in his pajamas, and he's like... You're breaking and entering. And she says, I've only entered. And then he immediately breaks a vase. It's very funny. Mrs. Brown finds some clues and also finds out that Phoenix Buchanan is not as rich as he seems. Mm. Or as Mr. Brown puts it, my God, he spent a lot on face cream. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Brown realizes there's an attic, or as she calls it, a secret room. Here's the exchange. A secret room. It's an attic. A secret attic. It's a normal attic. <laughs> Everyone on the street has... Oh my god, he's a weirdo. <laughs> I wrote down the oh my god, he's a weirdo part. Because Hugh Bonneville's delivery is so fucking perfect. And here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing. Is the way movie filmmaking works, like they're climbing up the ladder mm-hmm. and they go into the attic. Those are two different sets. Yeah. So Hugh Bonneville had to like stop midline and then pick it up. God knows who... It could have been before. It could have been after. How many who, days separated? Who, who fucking knows? It's, it could have been ADR. Who knows? It could have been. It's fucking perfect. It's and it's the, hilarious because again, they find... The timing is perfect in this movie. They find Phoenix Buchanan's mannequin slash costume room. Yes. Slash crazy palace. Yeah, his crazy palace. Of course, there's all the disguises he's been using. Unfortunately, Phoenix Buchanan comes home because he forgot to wear an ascot. <laughs> Or is he, or as he says, my cravat. Oh, is it a cravat? I I I gambled. I was like, it's either an ascot or a cravat. I genuinely I, do not know the difference, but he definitely calls it a cravat because he's always going to choose the most posh way to refer to anything. I missed that line, and it was during the part where this felt like a real slog to me. Just sure, take these sure. notes, so I didn't I go it. back. It's like, does he say whether it's an ascot or a cravat? <laughs> 
one of the greatest tragedies of my life. Yes. I was in uh, Christmas Carol my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I said to the costume lady, can I wear a cravat? Mm-hmm. But what I meant was an ascot. I and now, still don't know the difference. Now I've missed out on my chance to wear an ascot. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, you could just wear one in everyday life. I mean, you need a certain type of outfit to That's really yeah, wear you, you an ascot. You couldn't wear it with a polo shirt. No. And he catches Henry. Phoenix Buchanan catches Henry, mm-hmm. who is hiding behind the couch. Uh, Henry says that he's inspecting the house for the insurance company. <laughs> part, of Phoenix, their, part of their platinum is a service for their platinum members. And... Phoenix buys this, even though Henry is in his bathrobe and pajamas, and he's brought his wife along. And here's my favorite Sally Hawkins bit. Okay. He, my favorite Sally Hawkins bit was the bit just before. Oh, the, the Go, attic Going bit. up into the attic, yeah, that bit. He pulls back a curtain, and Sally Hawkins is, without missing a beat, obviously, because she's directed and it's in the script, yeah. she is feeling the window, and she's like, yeah, this feels secure. <laughs> It's so natural. It's so funny. I love it without missing a beat. Mm -hmm. Again, I understand that it's scripted to be without a beat. But it's so fucking great. It's still so fucking great because how many movies have you seen that are scripted a certain way, have great writers behind them, and then just have like a director who doesn't understand the material, who, who doesn't understand the sort of tempo situation that we're talking about, that lets that shit just fall all over the place. Yeah, you could you could easily do that joke where he pulls back the curtain, she's just standing there stock still and like uh but yeah. no, she or they or, do it they just like of course, of course Mrs. Brown is so savvy. So savvy. She's so into this plot mm-hmm. that she's like I can roll with anything. I Absolutely. can do anything. And here we get another great bit of language mm-hmm. where because Phoenix believes them. Yes. Mr. Brown declares everything to be tickety boo. <laughs> Yes. And he heads out. Great British expression, tickety-boo. Lovely bit where through all out, Mr. Brown has, in the corner of his mouth, it's very subtle, Mm -hmm. there's a bit of dried toothpaste. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's great. Or does he buy it? Or does Phoenix buy it? Because Mm -hmm. he immediately goes up to the attic and confirms that the popping book is still there. Yes. He only says to them before they leave, says, that sounds plausible. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes up to check the popping book, so he may not have Which believed he, them as much as he as they thought. But again, that's a great bit of lantern hanging. Yeah, where it's like, I guess. <laughs> and for as devious as he is, Phoenix doesn't seem like a bright man. No, no, not not remotely. And Phoenix once again converses with himself, doing different characters, mm-hmm. and like sort of working out the plot. Like clearly, he knows all this already, but he needs yes. to exposit. To himself through all these characters, yeah. where and of course it's Hercule Poirot, yes, who uncovers what all the letters he's collected mean. For but we example. found out that they're musical notes, mm. and Phoenix knows just where to play them. And one one other thing I really like about again t- attention to detail: not only are does he have different voices for all these characters, the characters are in character in his head. Oh, yeah. Hercule Poirot is the one who solves the case. Ebenezer Scrooge is the one who reminds him about the importance of, of finances and, yes. and, and and counting the books. Macbeth is the one who says, we're going to be found out, we're going to be found out. Hamlet is the one who's just, like, full of ennui. Yeah. They, every character didn't is notice in that. character That's in fantastic. his head. fantastic. And also, again... Hugh Grant is fucking killing this. Absolutely. He is portraying each character individually. He's doing... With a different um, accent, different voice. This is... It's... 
in any other movie that were not a family film, mm-hmm. he would definitely have been nominated to shit. Absolutely. For the wide range that he is showing. Yes. But because this is ostensibly a children's movie, he does not get recognized for all the lifting he is doing. He's doing an incredible job. I also want to give special shout out to Ben Wishaw, who who is being overshadowed by the fact that he's an animated bear. Actors who do motion capture and voice acting work are just as legit actors as every other kind of actor, and they deserve to have some accolades thrown their way as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And are Way too often overlooked. Ben Wishaw does an incredible job as this bear. Oh, he does. He's he a does. fully grown human man who absolutely convinced me that he's a tiny child bear. Now, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Okay. Do you think Ben Wishaw killed a bear cub <laughs> and climbed inside of its carcass? Uh, just to understand what just it's to understand like. understand what it's like. Do you think he's Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> method, but like Ed Gein Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> Uh, Ed Ed Day Lewis or maybe Daniel Gein. Daniel Day Gein. Daniel Day Gein. I like that. Uh, no, I don't think he probably did. I agree. <laughs> the Browns go to the cops. Mistake. Yeah. Although police culture is different in the UK. It is, but they I don't still think have it's still great. They still have their issues. My favorite thing about British police culture, though, is that instead of trying to make their police cars look oh, I, badass, yeah. they make all of their cops look like visible and noticeable, and and they also make them all wear bowler hats, which is just a little bit friendlier. True. Yeah. True. Yeah, I wish riot police wore bowlers on top of their fucking helmets. <laughs> Yeah. They, they seem like fucking wimpy. Wish we didn't have Popeye. riot police, but yeah, absolutely. I'll gladly give you a nightstick today for a hamburger tomorrow. <laughs> uh, the cops refuse to help because they suck. Worse news. Mm-hmm. The Browns forgot it was visitation day for Paddington. They were so busy cracking this case wide open that they and forgot. Paddington is heartbroken. Because this is right after he was told that, he, that they would forget him. And I have never seen such evocative CGI work as how sad this pretend bear is. It's it's fucking moving how mm-hmm. destroyed this CGI creation is. Yeah. And I don't know that, like, I've seen CGI that looks good. Yeah, of course. I've seen CGI that looks cute. Yes. Uh, to go back to Baby Yoda. Is a puppet. Right. <laughs> I keep forgetting... <laughs> Because it's the only goddamn thing I can think of when I was like, uh, the little chameleon, oh! the little chameleon from Tangled. That's cute. I've never seen it. Okay, it's it's a it's a decent film. But this is so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. And at night, Paddington cries in bed as he's imagining himself disappearing from a family picture of the Browns, and his tears. Well, I guess it's just one tear. Mm-hmm. It causes plants to grow in the cracks of the wooden floor. And his cell transforms into the Peruvian jungle. And this is... I I completely forgot about this sequence during this watch. And this is beautiful. I forgot about this. I forgot about the popping book segment. Oh, I always remember the popping book segment. This is another segment where, again, like, this doesn't need to be there. We get that the bear is sad. But it adds so much to this movie. It it starts as a slow transform. Then it becomes more immediate. But it's... It's fucking beautiful. and It's gorgeous. He, when he's in the jungle, after it's fully formed, he hears Aunt Lucy calling to him, mm-hmm. and he runs to her. They embrace. She says, what are you doing here? I thought you'd be at home. 
And Paddington says, as the camera does a 180 around him, the jungle slowly transforming back into the prison cell. The reality of a situation closing in on him once again. That he's afraid he doesn't have one anymore. Yeah. And again, not only is the scene beautiful, uh, heartwarming, and uh, not heartwarming, but heartbreaking, like heart- heartbreaking and just in- incredibly well done. More importantly than all that, it gave Amelda Staunton more lines. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot express to you how important that is in your movie. <laughs> <laughs> after this, after this beautiful sequence, which which is so, again, it's so emotional, it's so beautiful. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a work of art. Paddington agrees to Knuckles' escape plan. Which, conveniently, is happening that night. And here is where the movie once again transcends. Here's where we get full-on Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson Jr. stuff. We get a cutaway view of the prison, and I love all of this. I I sort of wish there was more of this in the movie, and this is sort of my hope for Paddington 3, but Paul King is not returning as director. Oh, no. And Paul King and Simon Farnaby are only doing the story. They are not writing the script. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> makes me nervous. I'm not crazy about it. Uh, but, but I will, I will um, say, uh, this. yeah, this, this is the most Wes Anderson this movie gets with the big cutaway thing of the prison. This is actually also, I just thought of this, with the earlier comparison I made between this filmmaker and James Whale, this is actually something that James Whale used. Oh, yeah? Uh, very briefly. Again, he, he would use techniques here and there wherever he felt like they were necessary. There's a, se- a very brief sequence in 1931's Frankenstein where you're following Victor, sorry, Henry Frankenstein in that movie, and Elizabeth walking through the house, and you're just sort of like going past wall after wall after wall. And it's, it's a very brief sequence, but it's it's that, that cutaway vibe of like voyeuristic filmmaking thing. I just, I absolutely love that. Oh, and, and love that trick whenever it shows up. Oh, I love it too. We see our four escapees simultaneously reveal holes in the floors of their cell. They jump into a tunnel below. Mm -hmm. They follow that tunnel onto a giant slide into the laundry piles. Mm -hmm. And again, we're seeing most of this from side view or from a front view of them moving forward. Mm -hmm. Paddington goes into the clock tower, scaling the pendulums, Charlie chaplaining his way through the clockwork in a... Yeah, uh, modern, oh, times. modern times. Yep. Yeah, modern times. Homage. Again, calling back to silent films. Love he even it. gets Love a little, it. a little grease spot of a Charlie Chaplin mustache on his face. <laughs> wipes it off. At least they're paying uh, credit to their homage. Absolutely, that's what makes it an homage, not a ripoff. And this takes him to the warden's office, where he swipes some keys for the canteen. Mm-hmm. They go to the canteen, and Paddington, of course, swipes a plate of marmalade sandwiches. Absolutely. You gotta. You gotta. The inmates scale a guard tower and make a hot air balloon out of a laundry basket. Many sheets patchwork together. Yes. And a flame. And it's wonderful. And it's whimsical. And I love it so goddamn much. So much. It's, uh, uh, they could have escaped by boat. They could yeah. have escaped by foot. Whatever. It's just, yeah. it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's sort of the, we, we mentioned as a joke in the opening, um, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. Yeah. Uh, in that one, there is a sequence where this movie and that one take the opposite approaches to the same problem of, hey, we have a sequence where our characters are supposed to escape from the prison because the plot has to happen outside of the prison. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with that? Because the we don't really care how they get out. We just need them out. Uh, Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby took the approach of let's just not really explain it. Let's just have them get out. And 
Which is a fine enough way to do it, and then I said in that episode I didn't really care. No, I was like, it's fine, get them out of the prison. But even in most this movie, prison decides, break movies have a prison break. Most of them, and this movie decides we're not going to focus on the prison break. We're going to get them out of the prison as quickly as possible, but we are going to give you the most whimsical and enchanting prison break you will ever see. We're going to dazzle you so you don't give a shit about the specifics. Right, yeah. So who? how did they get those holes in the floor? How did they make this hot air balloon? Who gives a shit? Yeah. This is, it doesn't matter. This is... It doesn't fucking... This that's, is delightful. <laughs> sometimes... I... I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before. Mm -hmm. I call it the Indiana Jones principle. Okay. If it's a good movie, I don't give a shit how much I have to suspend my disbelief. Yes. I'm there every step of the way. Right. If it's a bad movie, I'm calling out that shit every step of the way. <laughs> every step of the way. Yeah, absolutely. But, but um, this movie has successfully enchanted us, so we are good. Here's a note that I... Sometimes I write notes behind where I should say them, and I'm like... I'll remember this note, and I'll bring it up at the appropriate time. Right. I did not for this note. Simon Farnaby, the man who plays Barry the Guard, yes. and co-wrote this script, mm -hmm. is also co-writing the prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Wonka, wow. which I don't know how to feel about that. I I knew about that movie because uh, they they there were photos that were posted online of Timothy Chalamet as young Wonka in his mm. uniform, in his, his costume. And yeah, that face that you just made, the, the Brad made a bad face, is exactly how I felt. I did not want there to be a prequel, did not want Timothy Chalamet in the role, did not want yeah. any of it, did not want Green Eggs and Ham. But that is the first thing I've heard that makes me slightly more interested in it. Yeah. Which is but going from zero to one, but it's still something. Something. I, I, I really don't know how to feel about it. I, but Simon Farnaby also co-wrote the movie I don't like, Mindhorn. Oh, so he's not—he's not perfect. Perfect, but no one is. But he's a funny actor, and yeah. he did Paddington too. So who knows? Yeah. But as they fly away, and uh, I watched this movie in pieces just to make it easier for me. Yeah. So we're we're picking up where I watched from today. Sure. And I was I started to get very emotional today. Um, uh, this is around the part where I got really emotional too. As they and fly, I watched it all in one chunk. As they fly away, T Bone. The huge inmate who first threatened to kill Paddington. Oh, this part. Looks out his cell window and he says, good luck, little bear. And I just died. Oh, I started, I almost started crying. My God. I almost started crying. Yeah. No, I did start crying. The gang changes clothes and lands their balloon. Mm -hmm. Knuckles leads them to a seaplane. Yes. Is he secretly Baloo from Tailspin? <laughs> no. It turns out. He's not a bear, but he lied to a bear. Yes. He explains that they were never going to clear Paddington's name. Yep. They were just going to escape the country and make marmalade. Yes. Paddington is understandably hurt mm -hmm. because Knuckles broke his promise. Oh, speaking of Willy Wonka, I just realized one of the actors in this gang of criminals that they're with in the seaplane scene is Charlie Bucket's dad in the Tim Burton version oh, of Charlie right. the Chocolate it's Factory. Oh, right. It's a Nick Cave-looking dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. the other... The two others are Brendan Gleeson yes. and an Indian man. Yes, who does not look like Nick Cave. No. Paddington runs away and wanders the snowy streets, hiding when he hears police sirens. And earlier I made a joke where, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was a movie where Paddington was like the fugitive? <laughs> well, we do get a little bit of that. That is, is, yeah, yeah, that's just a little bit, but you do get it. But I would love Tommy Lee Jones. Mm -hmm. Now Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Elderly decrepit yes barely alive in an iron <laughs> lung 
Someone, uh, other F, other U.S. Marshals are pushing that iron lung down the water tunnel. And Paddington says, I didn't steal that popping book. And Tommy Lee Jones goes, I don't care. <laughs> then he dies on the spot. R.I.P. Tommy Lee Jones. Rest in power. See you at the crossroads. You just love iron lungs. <laughs> You're the funniest medical equipment. <laughs> What, are you going to make a joke about a dialysis machine? No, no, you're right, you're right. You do make a lot of jokes about dialysis machines. I do, off off mic, it's just like constant dialysis jokes. Yeah. Uh, So much in this movie comes back. Yeah, everything in this movie is planting and payoff. And sometimes it's like really obvious shit where it's like, Mm -hmm. this is not necessarily elegant, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. The coin in the ear, that this is where Paddington stores his one coin. Yes. He pulls it out. He makes a pain phone call to the Browns, but he gets an answering machine. Yes. He forlornly tells them that he broke out of prison and he's on the run. He says he doesn't know why he's calling, but he just wanted to say, and then the pay phone cuts him off. He walks away, but the phone rings. It's Mrs. Brown. And she's so happy. She's so happy to hear yeah. Paddington and Paddington apologizes for escaping, but they, th- he thought they had forgotten about him. And again, my neurodivergency, my insecurity is like, mm-hmm. no, I, I give people a lot of shit <laughs> because I'm like, you don't care about me. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, even though I know they do, it's yeah. just in the moment, it yes. fucking hurts. I get it. And and uh, and they say the line, we'd never forget you. Mrs. Paddington. Bird says that. Mrs. Bird says they that. They couldn't and forget again, about him. Me balling. Yeah. Cut to me balling. They uh, tell him that Phoenix Buchanan is to blame for everything. And together they work out that Phoenix Buchanan is headed for the steam train from the steam fair, which is now leaving Paddington Paddington Station. Station. Which, of course, Paddington is named after. Wasn't he, Uh, like, he was found at Paddington Station or something, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know why I know that. The family will head there, but Paddington needs to get there, too. Yes. Even though he's a baby bear. Right. And does not even own a gun. (laughs) How long American? It's miles away. Yes. But thankfully, he sees his friend, the garbage man. Yes. And he hitches a ride, and they just plow through traffic. It's a refuse emergency! The amazing line. Ama- this is a clear the road. This is a refuse emergency. Meanwhile, Peter Capaldi is on a bullhorn in Windsor yes. Gardens, warning the neighborhood that Paddington has broken out and could be on his way there, and he's raising the panic level to mass hysteria. (laughs) And we get this beautiful monologue from Mr. Brown Mm -hmm. that makes me cry and is something we should all live by. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Capaldi says, We don't want him here. Mm -hmm. And Hugh Bonneville, Mr. Brown, says, No, of course you don't. You never have. As soon as you set eyes on that bear, you made up your mind about him. Well, Paddington's not like that. He looks for the good in all of us, and somehow, he finds it. Mm. It's why he makes friends wherever he goes. It's why Windsor Gardens is a happier place whenever he's around. He wouldn't hesitate if any of us were in need of help. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's... I'm, uh, I'm, it's, I'm getting emotional No, I, I am again. too. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> what a what a what a weird episode this is. <laughs> I'm just proud that neither of us has full on cried yet. Uh, yeah, it could be getting there though. It could be getting there. But I that, didn't, that I didn't, speech, yeah. it's it's 
My God. Again, yeah. it's not necessarily subtle, but it's It just, doesn't need to be. Movies don't need to be subtle. No, they don't. It, Movies don't need to be subtle and they don't need to be realistic. Beautiful sentiment where it's like, yeah, yeah. try to understand people. Try to look for the good. Try to, yeah. I think that yeah. subtlety is almost an overrated uh, attribute in art these days especially again i have to to bring it up every time subtlety has its place subtlety has its place but uh like, especially in a family film though it's okay to be broad especially yeah especially in this genre but also like i i can't help but bring it up uh, squid game is one of the most blatant unsubtle critiques of capitalism i've seen in a dog's age people still don't get and it and people still don't fucking get it so i think you can be as blatant as you want because honestly hit people over the head with that hammer as long sure. as you can do it as deftly as this movie does like i barely even felt the impact still got the concussion but i did i i barely felt the impact and we get a nice the community coming together moment where the yes. browns car won't start yes but the neighborhood rallies to give it a running start and they get off and they almost they almost uh, uh <laughs> caitlin jenner uh <laughs> peter capaldi <laughs> Exactly. Paddington makes his way to the train. There, there's a neat little bit where he infiltrates in a garbage bin. Yes, and has uh, a great, great line. I'm, I'm quite good at being a bin. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets on board the train right after yes. Phoenix Buchanan, which it pulls away just before the Browns arrive. Yes, but thankfully, there's another steam train right on the just on a parallel track. And thankfully, from the thing that happened an hour and a half ago, yes, we remember that Jonathan. Knows how to operate a steam train. Yes. And he gets in there, he, he rigs up the train, and he delivers one of the most badass one-liners in cinema history. My name's not J-Dog. It's Jonathan Brown, and I like steam trains. <laughs> and he, like... <laughs> and he punches it, and they roar off into the sunset, baby. Again, it's not elegant. It's not this... John. The kids are not developed, especially Jonathan. Especially Jonathan. This is, is not the, developed at all. The first time we've referenced his plot line since the the steam fair scene but it still works it still, it works. still works i don't care it's um the the stuff was planted early enough on that this does genuinely feel like good payoff even though we haven't spent a lot of time with those characters. no it, and some people might call it cheap i i consider it more like a not necessarily a magic trick it, it's more long form than a it's like a yeah. con where it's like <laughs> Hey, you forgot about the thing we said an hour and a half ago, didn't you? And then here's the prestige. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we we introduced J-Dog, we made him disappear, and then we brought him back again. Meanwhile, on the train is Paddington's judge, who yes. gets some champagne spilled on him. Everything that was planted earlier is coming back. And delivers probably my favorite line of the film. Mm -hmm. Don't shush me, Gertrude. <laughs> I have just been spilled upon by chilled liquids. <laughs> Okay, now that's an Aquid line right there. Absolutely. That's a fucking Aquid line. And then the judge has some other antics, but that's the only thing worth calling out. Oh, man. It's Knuckles and the great. gang are flying away when they hear a news report that Paddington has boarded the train mm -hmm. and the police are closing in on him. The other two want to help, but Knuckles isn't there yet. He repeats his, his mantra that he told Paddington earlier. 
I, I don't, don't do nothing for nobody. Phoenix Buchanan finds a giant ornate organ and plays the notes he found. Mm-hmm. The Browns begin their daring rescue, going outside their train, jumping onto the steam fare train as Paddington uses toffee apples to make his way across the roof of the train. This train sequence feels like it's out of a Mission Impossible movie. It's so... I kept thinking of the beginning of Last Crusade. Uh, yes, I haven't seen Last Crusade in so long, I, I forgot about that. But yeah, like this, this is a legitimately tense and awesome action sequence. Yeah. Again, in this movie about a child bear who went to prison until recently. The toffee apples are also a bit of a callback because Paddington has one at the beginning of the film when he goes to the steam fair. Yes, he gets toffee apples. He's using them to Spider-Man crawl around the train. As is Mr. Brown doing a split between the two trains. Calling back to his yoga. Exactly. Phoenix Buchanan finishes the sequence and the, the treasure is revealed. Yes. Paddington grabs the popping book and startles Phoenix Buchanan, mm-hmm. causing him to hit the machine and lock up the treasure once more. So now he needs the book back. Phoenix Buchanan pursues Paddington across the train's roof, and you know what? Yeah. Hugh Grant, as this... Foppish, crazy foppish, weirdo. weird actor is yeah. actually kind of menacing in this scene. The visual language in this scene is absolutely expertly done. You have Paddington in his little uh, duffel his, coat. His little duffel coat with his hat, holding on to his hat like 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 the little silent movie comedian character he is, holding, clutching this book for dear life, barely making it, acting more like a real person would if they were walking on top of a train, just sort yeah. of like running against the wind, panicking, deeply breathing, whereas Hugh Grant is marching yes. serenely and confidently Firm, stentorian across the top of the train in a sequence that suddenly again makes this foppish weirdo so intimidating as intimidating as like jaws and james it's like Bond. darth vader walking exactly into the blockade runner yeah, um, the, it's the visual storytelling. Again, it reminds me of that. Like again, like I keep comparing him to Cruella Deville, but it's that same arc where Cruella Deville, throughout all of 101 Dalmatians, the original animated one this time, is such a uh, doofy character. She's just like a gag, really. Yeah. And then you get that switch at the end of the movie where suddenly they animate her to be so much more skeletal her eyes are on fire and she's like a terrifying demon yeah uh you have that sort of switch where you can make this character intimidating all of a sudden and it works here's how impressive it is is the green screen behind hugh grant during the sequence is not the best it's pretty bad yeah it's one of the weakest parts visually of the movie they spent a lot on that cartoon bear but he is selling it oh yeah he is fucking selling it i barely noticed that and the green screen was a problem at all in fact i didn't until you just said it and then i i played the tape back in my brain and was like oh yeah and as he is marching towards paddington paddington at the end of the train he delivers the immensely clever line mm-hmm. exit bear pursued by actor oh my god if you're a shakespeare if you know anything about shakespeare you love that line and just then he falls through an open roof Mm-hmm. In, and he lands in front of Mrs. Bird, Mr. Brown, and Judy. Mr. Brown is fully prepared to biff Phoenix Buchanan on the nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right in the schnoz. But uh, Phoenix Buchanan grabs a saber. Yes. And we Mrs. saw we, and this is also paying off something earlier, because when he caught them during the insurance uh, scene, when they were inspecting his house, he had a sword cane. And we learned that he is stage combat level four. <laughs> Which is, means nothing. <laughs> It sounds like a Scientology thing. (laughs) 
there are a lot of actors in Scientology. Maybe they really? have. Yeah. Really? <laughs> tell us more about Scientology. It sounds like you have the inside scoop. Well, I mean, since we're doing hot takes from the 90s, anyway. <laughs> As Phoenix Buchanan grabs his saber, mm-hmm. Mrs. Bird pulls down a gun. Oh, my God. And Phoenix Buchanan kindly informs her he believes that gun only shoots plastic darts. To which he fires a dart at his forehead. Eventually, Phoenix Buchanan handcuffs the three to poles. Meanwhile, Paddington uses his window washing ladder mm-hmm. to try to get from the fare train to the train that Jonathan is piloting. Yes. And Mrs. Brown is reaching out for him. Yes. Mrs. Bird uses a hairpin to undo the cuffs. And Phoenix Buchanan grabs Paddington just as he's about to reach Mrs. Brown. Mm-hmm. And Phoenix Buchanan couples the train, leaving Paddington behind. Triumphant, clutching the popping book, he moves into the train car. He is greeted by Judy, taking a picture, Mrs. Bird, and Mr. Brown, looking cooler than Hugh Bonneville ever fucking has. He just has this sudden presence of, like, I am, like, the John Wick of the Paddington universe, but instead of killing people with pencils, I throw baseballs at people. (laughs) I throw baseballs at, at carnival coconuts. games, at coconuts in carnival games. Mr. Brown, firm and powerful, he chucks a ball at Phoenix Buchanan's head, knocking him out. Bullseye Brown. Alternative story, Mr. Brown is John Wick. And instead of his wife dying, he had this life. <laughs> and he adopted a bear. This is an alternate universe. For those who might, again, might not know us in real life or follow us on Facebook, Brad had a whole bit that he was doing on Facebook while watching this movie of being John Wick and tearing up his... (laughs) Being like, the bear shouldn't be in prison and tearing up the floor that I just, I I keep thinking about and laughing. (laughs) Yeah, no, that that's... I love that. While I was was first taking my notes, like, it did really strike me this time where it's like, this is an injustice. Yeah, it so is an injustice. So the post was like, me, tears in my eyes, that bear shouldn't be in prison. <laughs> and then me, like, community activist, going to the window, throwing up the sash. Yes. That bear shouldn't be in prison. <laughs> and then me, vindictive, yes. going down to my concrete basement, taking a sledgehammer to the floor to reveal my stash of money and guns. <laughs> That bear shouldn't be in prison. Dun dun dun. Because like I like to imagine sometimes like my favorite sure. film characters teaming up. Yeah, of course. Paddington, Paddington and John Wick. John... Paddington as a member of the Avengers. Paddington. I don't know if I want Paddington and John Wick to meet. I do want Paddington and Keanu Reeves to meet. Oh, absolutely. It's two of the most adorable I things just... on the planet. Two of the most adorable beings on the planet. And again, Paddington, not a real thing. I know. Uh, but uh, yeah. I just would love. He's real if... in my heart. I just would love if there was like a picture. Of Keanu Reeves with Paddington on his shoulders. Aww, yeah. That would be great. It'd be adorable. I feel like they have similar energy. I feel like they would get on very well. Like, I want yeah. a kindness Avengers. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's Paddington. Mm-hmm. It's real-life Keanu Reeves. It's uh, Bandit, the dad from Bluey. It's, uh... <laughs> Like, I just want, like, the kindest people. The kindest people. The dad from uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. We've been getting a nice rash of, like, good dads in media. That's another reason watch Bluey. The dad is awesome. Can't wait. Okay. Fantastic. We've been having a lot of bad moms, too, I've noticed. Yeah. But Paddington is still in trouble. Yes. Because his car goes off the end of a track, Mm -hmm. over a cliff. And into the water. It rapidly sinks. But Jonathan stops the train 
and trained swimmer Mrs. Brown yeah. dives from a great height into the water and swims down to Paddington's train car. She immediately develops gills, and the fish man is there to... Never mind. Sexually transmitted gills. Sexually transmitted Happens gills. all the time. Yes, it does. Just like just like toilet seat ADHD. She opens the door, mm-hmm. but it's still chained. Yes. Things look bad, mm-hmm. and we get a beautiful fucking moment. Even though yeah. we know... Of we course. know because of we've course. seen, we know how movies work. Yeah, that everything is going to be fine. We get this beautiful moment. It's also it's Paddington Two. They're not going to kill the Golden Goose in no. Paddington Two, but it doesn't matter. But Paddington and Mrs. Brown have this moment where Paddington reaches his hand out through the gap in the door and holds Mrs. Brown's hand. They just sort of gaze at each other, and it really feels like they're saying okay. goodbye. Yeah, it yeah. really does, yeah. and it's. It's again. Sally Hawkins is giving her all. Yes, that CGI bear is giving its all. Absolutely, and it's I bursting into tears. Movies operate in in realms of cliche, and they operate in realms of stories I've been told a million times before. Ten to one, if you're making a movie, it's a story that someone's heard before somewhere. It's all about playing it the variations. Matter. It's about playing the variations, and it's about making the experience enjoyable. It is while you meaningful. are there and meaningful while you're there. It's not about, like, trying to outsmart the audience, which it seems like everybody's trying to do these days in in movies. And what comes next is not necessarily unpredictable. No. We knew Knuckles and the gang were going to come back at some point. Absolutely. It's Han Solo coming back at the Death Star. And the seaplane lands. Yes. And Knuckles and the other two jump out, and they all swim down, Mm -hmm. and together all of them fucking break the chain like Fleetwood Mac told us not to. (laughs) Well, they are criminals. Yeah, true. Yeah. And again, and like, I'm we, again, I'm starting to cry. I'm starting to cry from this fucking moment that I knew would happen even when I watch it over and over again. Just because you know something's going to happen or that you can predict something will happen does not rob it of meaning. No. And if it's well done, it also does not rob it of its effectiveness. Yes. So they rescue Paddington. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's now sick. He has a fever. He has a cold, which of course you can't actually catch a cold from being cold, so I think he probably caught the uh, cold from being in close proximity to all those people in prison for or so long. Or just stress. A stress cold? It seems like, yeah. It's, oh, okay. It seems like what he went through is pretty traumatic yeah, fair. for a young bear. Fair. Uh, they rush him to bed. He wakes up three days later, and they tell him that his name is clear, mm-hmm. and Phoenix Buchanan has been arrested. Yes. But three days means it's Aunt Lucy's birthday. Yes. And Paddington didn't send her anything. Yeah. She did so much for him, and he just wanted to make her proud. Yeah. And again, this is what I feel about a lot of my friends. Like, I just mm-hmm. I just want to make them proud and yeah, it, justify it, their affection and love for it me. It feels like there needs to be justification, even though there does not need to be. The Browns take Paddington downstairs, mm-hmm. where the whole neighborhood applauds and thanks him. Mm-hmm. Turns out the popping book was taken for evidence. Yeah. So, they got Paddington a different present for Aunt Lucy. A trip to London. The doorbell rung, rings. It's Aunt Lucy. They embrace. Roll credits. Roll tears down my face. I have already said that I cried several times before this. This is the moment when I was absolutely destroyed. Oh, like, yeah. I was, I was a mess. Oh, yeah. I was a it's... mess at this scene. And I can't explain it. I can't explain why it's so beautiful that this... Fake old bear gets to see London. <laughs> it's because it's Imelda Staunton and she got more lines. <laughs> <laughs> 
we get another great song. Shake, 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 Sonora. Shake your body light. We find out that the escapees were all pardoned. They're changed men. Yes. Knuckles opens up a sandwich a restaurant tea, where he serves room. knuckle sandwiches. Yes, um, I love it. Mrs. Brown swam the channel. Yes. Mr. Brown gets promoted. Everyone flourishes. Everyone. Everyone. Because even though Phoenix Buchanan is sentenced to 10 years in prison, he gets sent to Paddington's prison. Which, and as we all know now, is has because of thanks to Paddington, is the greatest prison in the world. Six months later, in probably the single, like to take out of context, mm-hmm. the single greatest scene in this movie. Sure. And again, I can't do it justice. I, but it, Phoenix yeah. Buchanan is putting on his one man show, mm-hmm. even though it involves everybody as a background dancer. Well, here here's the thing. Earlier in the Joanna Lumley scene as his agent, she had a line where she said that the reason why he wants to do a one-man show is because he refuses to work with other people. He believes in his own greatness so strongly that uh, he doesn't. He believes that other people just sort of rob him of his of his much yes. deserved limelight. In this moment, he takes the song that was in that we know was in his one-man show because he performed it earlier again, yes. planting and payoff, and he performs it not alone. But with the entire prison, yes, as his uh, as as his backing group and his dancers, and he learns this prison is so good that it teaches even a pathological narcissist like this dude, a cartoon <laughs> narcissist, but still a narcissist, to uh, actually work with others. Yeah, and and he, believe in the in the spirit and of community. This, this sequence is amazing. He's singing an actual Broadway show tune. Yeah. I don't remember the official title. It's a Sondheim tune yeah. from a show called Follies. Pit-pit-pat-pit-pit-pat. Uh, Pity that it's not a hurricane. It's just the right level of annoyance. And the choreography is fucking beautiful. Yeah. It's insane the amount of time they sent they spent on like a 35 second bit that it's is not fucking, even full screen it's like a little it's, window it's chopped off next the to the credits like a blooper it's, reel or it's something it's fucking beautiful it's amazing it's hilarious it's incredible and again phoenix buchanan has been telling us how great he is the entire movie and he has always seemed pathetic yes whenever he has said this and whenever he's tried to appear amazing the most amazing that he appears is when he allows other people to lift him up. Yes, when the literally. entire when the entire prison is behind him, making his dream come true of performing the song in front of as he and himself jokes a captive audience. Uh, he looks the best he's looked in the entire goddamn movie. And it's fucking uh, Hugh Grant again. Endless accolades. Uh, he never the, enough accolades yeah, for this. I'm pr- almost certain he did the singing. I'm pretty sure uh, he does a lot of the choreography. Oh yeah, uh, and kudos to like it's so fucking because it's not just the inmates; it's the guards. Everybody, who are they performing for? It doesn't matter. No one knows. It, it, it's just fucking hilarious. Like everyone's doing the perfect showgirl routine. Like, yes, you have guards uh, in the laundry baskets, kicking their legs as they crisscross each other. I'm pretty sure that there's even like a, a like a, a, a Follies reference with like some some guards in a circle making shapes like they would in the pool it's in the old possible, musicals or something like that. But uh, that's Paddington too. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Billy, anything I, else you'd like to say? Last thing I'll say about the prison scene. Best pri- 
best movie ending prison musical number since Blues Brothers. Sure. Uh, yes, I'll agree. Yeah. If the absolutely unending glowing report we have given of this movie so far hasn't made you watch it, I guess nothing ever will, but like God damn, man. You just I, I, don't, I, don't care, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you don't have kids, neither of us do. I don't care if you're a cynical <laughs> bastard like we are. Just watch Paddington just watch, too. Watch good things. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I, I sure you can I watch feel bad like, things too if you want, but watch Paddington too. But just like it doesn't matter what genre or what type of movie it is, like yeah. if it's good and you enjoy it, watch it. Like I think a main reason, a big, a bigger reason than Hugh Grant playing the same role over and over again, that people consider Hugh Grant to be a bad actor or have in the past, is because most of his movies were romantic comedies, which is a genre of movie that this film doesn't fall into, but is a genre that people see as lesser because it's for women. Yes. Uh, and no, it's not. It's a genre. There are good rom-coms and there are bad rom-coms. Exactly. And uh, you should probably watch the good ones because you'll have a better time. Yeah. But it doesn't make rom-com a lesser genre any more than horror is a lesser genre, any or more than children's films animation, a lesser genre. Animation, uh, anything. Any, a, animation is a big one. People are still making fun of animation to this day, and it's amazing. So, yeah, I, Paddington 2 is incredible, and to me it's on the same level in terms of family movies as, like, the best of classic Disney. Yeah. I, I love this movie. Mm. It's means so much to me it moves me endlessly it's beautiful yep. and we'll see you next time and remember always be kind to people and if you look for the best you will find it bye bye